Hello and welcome to the Disruptors Podcast. On the show today, we've got Bitcoin millionaire and investor Peter McCormack. Now, this is a fascinating conversation. Peter and Rob talk about not just Bitcoin, but the future of money, the banking system, Andrew Tate, and who really controls the world. This is unlike any episode we've recorded before. And in fact, when we started recording, it just kind of happened. The conversation flowed straight away. So let's just get straight into this. But remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. There's two things I find is that when, since we moved to an in-person studio, people get really nervous. Right. And so sometimes you want to settle them down. Yeah. But, so I always come down and say hello. Yeah. Hang out, say how are you, like yeah. hug, make it warm. Yeah. And then I always say, listen, I'm, we're not going to talk now because we don't we want to save anything. Yeah. Danny, my producer, or Jeremy, my camera guy, they will talk to them. Yeah. It's a balance. If I know them well, then I will, but I'm, mm. I'm desperate not to... Because it's like, you might say something like, how was your journey down? It's like, oh, fuck, I had a nightmare on the fly. This happened. It's like, what? And you, you got part of the story out of it. And because yeah. <clears throat> my show is a Bitcoin show, it gets fucking boring talking about Bitcoin all the time. So you right. want those other bits, yeah. those other gems. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just, it's, that's just my experience. You get yeah. gems out of it. Yeah. Because every single time, Danny's like, fuck, shut up, Pete. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's that balance of trying to, you know, cause that was a surprise to us. I didn't see that coming when people got in the seat and they were like shaking. Mm, yeah. you, I guess you have that sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. And you want to like balance the two. Yeah. Yeah, cause I used to think the rapport was really important before. And I'm, I'm friends with Jake Wood from EastEnders cause I interviewed him on my podcast and he said, we never speak to anyone. We want it the, the coldness and the hostility at the start. Yeah. We also do rolling camera starts now. Right, so we would yeah. be recording. So you get bits of this in. Yeah, we would be recording this. You know, having a solid start to the interview sometimes is a bit, I don't know, it's a bit jarring. Yeah. We just do rolling starts and choose from the, you know, sometimes right. from the very start we have it, sometimes like a minute in. Yeah. And then sometimes even the guest is like, have we started? Yeah. It's like, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're rolling. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we've even now, like there was one interview where I, I went for a piss halfway through and uh, we've decided to leave that bit in because what happens, I go for a piss, then Danny starts talking to the guest. It was a, it gives it a bit of personality. Mm, yeah. So, um, swearing, yay or no? Yay. Fine. Anything I you like. I swear a lot. It's called disruptive. Okay. So, you can say Let's whatever you like. fucking disruptive. Where, where do you, are you in London? Uh, Peterborough. Oh, you're not far. No. You're posh. Mm, well, I wasn't born in Peterborough. Okay. So, I uh, support Liverpool. Ha, like yeah. me. Yeah. Um, the only time I ever go to Peterborough is to get my passport sorted. Yes, that's what everyone says. Yeah, get that's my... why I like living there. Hold on, didn't we go, did, Dad, didn't we used to go ice skating in Peterborough when we were kids? Didn't they have an ice skating ring there? Um, yeah. Yeah, you see, you're clutching at straws for what Peterborough's known for. Yeah, passport office, <laughs> sugar? Isn't one of the massive sugar companies there? Um, yeah. Yes. And there's a strip club right in the town centre. I haven't been. You bid. tell me. I haven't been. You bid. tell me. I was just like, when I went to get my passport, so I was like, yeah. oh, this is yeah, it's central. next door but one to the passport. <laughs> <laughs> if you're waiting. Yeah. Yeah, if you've got, if you're early for your appointment. Yeah. Go get some, actually my dad's here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> yeah, one take, one mark. We've been testing the last sort of six months. No waffly intros. No, tell us your story. Straight in with a short, hard question. It works really well. Fucking go. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you? Do you do any remote interviews? Uh, some. Yeah. So we yeah. tried last year to go only in person, but I reckon I missed out on five really good interviews because of that. Mm. Because I couldn't get to them, they couldn't get to me. Yeah. And so we've now loosened that. 
if if it's timely, we will do it remotely. Yeah. Like if they're in Singapore or right here, it's really important. We will do it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's like no, we'll wait. Mm. So. Yeah. I just. Do you know my problem with the remote ones? I'm just looking at the clock. Yeah. It feels like a job. Yeah. It does my fucking. You don't mind. really get to know the person, and if there's an ever so slight lag, it's really hard. Yeah. I I always yeah. put rules in place. I'm like, I'm gonna leave a pause. Yes. When I think you're done, and you could, you're okay with that pause, and then I'll speak, yeah. and then we'll edit that in post production. Mm. Or if we kind of like talk over each other, I'll say, okay, you finish, we'll edit that. Yeah. So we just fix a lot in edit. But that actually closes down the ability to converse, doesn't it? Because well, ding donging is part of it. Yeah, and you don't have that like then. Just I went to speak and you did, and I knew to stop. But that yeah. that yeah. millisecond changes it, and you do talk over each other. It's mm. fine. Does my nut? I'd do the morning person if I could. Yeah. Do you have your own studio? Yeah. Yeah, in Peterborough. We're trying to buy one in London because people don't come to Peterborough. I'm even thinking of hiring a um, chauffeur to go and get my guests and bring them and take them back. So when we do the shows in the US, we pick a city and we... Do you want this as part of the... Are we recording now? Let's just chat. Um, Rolling cameras. Rolling cameras. (laughs) So when we're in the US, the way we do it, because most of the people we want to interview in the US, we pick a city and it's New York, Miami, Nashville, Austin, San Fran, LA, sometimes Vegas. And so if I go to Austin, we'll do 20 shows in 10 days. There'll be 10 of the people will be there and then the other 10 will fly in. And yeah. we, it's usually about up to a thousand bucks it'll cost us for a flight right. and a hotel. Yeah. And we bring them in, we arrange everything for them. Yeah. We, I'm, you've got two shows, haven't you? Yeah, I've got one called Money yeah. as well. Yeah. So I'm about to launch a second show, probably end of, sometime between the end of March and beginning of May. Yeah. Um, because there's people I wanted to interview are not in Bitcoin and I'm right, feeling that yeah. need. But that's going to be a UK show and we want to go straight to in person. So we're looking for a studio in London. Yeah. And we're trying to figure out, like, can you do it in a WeWork because they're nice spaces, but is there noise around it? Well, like, acoustically, most of them are shit. Right, this doesn't yeah. work. But we need to find a space that's central enough. King's Cross or Mayfair, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, because we've 900 shows um, and easier to get people to King's Cross and anywhere in the country they'll just come to King's Cross. And obviously Mayfair is Mayfair, anyone will go to Mayfair. Well, the thing is, if either of those, you say London. Or Soho, Soho maybe. I know people who've got studios in Soho. So I used to have an office there. I just think you pay a lot more there. I don't mind it. Yeah. But I think the thing is, as long as you can say London, once they're booked, then yeah, you give them your address. But the bigger the guest you get, the, the harder it is to get them to do what you want. You have to do what they want. Yeah, so I think that it's one of those things. It's always stay ahead of where you are. Like try and just reach slightly above, but don't reach too far. Right. Because then they, like in, in my world's different because it's niche. But is it not exciting when you punch above your weight and you, you get someone who's huge? I, I mean, of course. Yeah. I interviewed a president last year twice. Wow. Yeah, and that was one of those moments. Was he the one that runs the country that has Bitcoin? Yeah, El Salvador. Yeah. Yeah, Naya Bukele. Yeah. So when you started your podcast, did you think you were setting up a business or did you just do it as a hobby? I did it because Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss were the ones I was listening to and I thought I should do this. Okay. Because any time I think I should do this, I just do it. Um, I'm, I'm similar to that. <laughs> yeah. We've got my dad sat in the background who'll probably be nodding away. <laughs> um, so mine was Rich Roll. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I met him and I, I was listening to his podcast. He used to go running every day. And, uh, and I was like, I, I want your life. How do you do it? But I didn't, I didn't think it would be a business. I yeah. thought a ho- it was a hobby. Yeah. And then I ended up with this interview in the presidential palace or wherever it is with the president, completely crapping myself. <laughs> uh, and then afterwards I was just like, 
how the fuck did this happen? Like, yeah. How did this happen? Like, how did these steps happen? But, you know, it does. And... Well, something I've said to Harry is, um, this now is about us making memories. Because you'll remember that. No matter, you know, you make a zillion in Bitcoin, but you'll remember that over making I a wish, zillion. I wish I made a zillion yeah. in Bitcoin. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it is. And, uh, but, the, yeah, I, I do want to punch high. My, that's why I'm going to do the other show. Because mm. there's people I want to interview. And my numbers are good enough. Yeah. And when they hear the word Bitcoin, they're like, I don't, I don't it's care quite about, niche, isn't yeah, it? I don't care about that shit. Yeah. But also, there's shows we make that aren't, we don't even talk about Bitcoin. Right. So right now, I don't know when this is coming out, just for a laugh, we made a bunch of shows recently, and me and Danny have put all the ones in a row that aren't about Bitcoin. And we're not telling anyone. Right. And we're just going to see if there's a reaction and see if people still listen. or what. You're not worried are. about losing listenership? Not for a... Not for three weeks of shows. No. No, I, I mean, we might have a dip in downloads. Might not. But, but I'm going to then afterwards go, just so you know, for the last three weeks, we haven't made a Bitcoin show. I just wanted to see what the reaction was because I don't actually think it's a Bitcoin show anymore. Right. You know, it's called What Bitcoin Did. Yeah. But we talk about nuclear power, energy. We talk about governance. We talk about politics, society, diet. Yeah. We talk about a lot of subjects that uh, Bitcoiners are interested in or tangential to being a Bitcoiner. Yeah. But we don't always make those shows anymore. So, uh, and interestingly, if I, it's more of a macro show. Mm. Yeah, if I get a macro person on, we don't, we don't talk about Bitcoin, we might get 100,000 downloads. Yeah. I could have one of the most prominent people in Bitcoin, a guy called, you know, someone like Adam Back, cited in the white paper, a brilliant guy, and he might get less. Mm. And I think it's because it's evolved into that. Mm. But yeah, so we'll launch another show, because it's, yeah, I'd love to, I mean, it's, who's, your, who's your, if you had a, how many shows do you do a week? We probably do two on average. We, yeah. Who do we ideal, ideal two guests that week be? Not um, like the first, like just ideal. Like Jurgen Klopp would be one of mine. Oh, mine as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, we we're in talks with his team, but obviously um, that's hard. I just, Donald Trump would just be great, wouldn't he? Just blow, <laughs> he'd just blow up the world. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'm a big fan of his. Yeah. So we're in talks with them, but you know the agents just put big fees in the way. We I wouldn't ever pay for a guest. Why not? Because I don't think you should pay for it. I think, one, it sets a standard that you will be paid. I think it changes the dynamics. You've come because you're being paid. And I don't, I don't want your answers. It's, it's kind of like PR. Whereas uh, when you've got somebody because they want to come, they, like Rogan. I don't doubt Rogan. Is, I would be amazed if he's ever paid for a guest. Really? Because a few people have been saying to me, they reckon some of those guests he's got, they must have paid to go on that show. I think you want to go on Rogan. I only want people who want to come on. Yeah. Now, if they only want to come on because the numbers are good, fine, that's them. Yeah. But I think it changes the dynamic. Well, what about people who you want on? All right, I mean, Jurgen Klopp, yeah. you can get him for 10. Are you in? 10. Grand? No. You wouldn't pay Jurgen Klopp 10 grand? No, because I want Jurgen Klopp to know of the show and say, I like Pete, I want to talk to him. Or somebody says to him, you should go on Pete's show, Pete's Ooh. wicked. Not, I'm getting 10 grand because... It's, 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 it's a transaction then. Yeah. And I don't want a transaction. Yeah. You know, and so I'm happy to play the long game and get people at the point where they want to or they, they hear about it or they know it's a, a good show to be on. Yeah. Not because they're getting paid. This, this, like, you couldn't have paid me. If you'd have said to me, Pete, I want you to come on the show, I'll give you 10 grand. I know you wouldn't have. But yeah. if you had, I'd said, no, I'd do it for free. Yeah. Because I want to talk to you. Yes. I, I don't want a transaction in a conversation because mm. I think you've probably found when you're making these shows or growing your thing, you have to stay who you are. You have to be authentic. That's why your audience likes you. Once you start paying for guests, you know, what if they pay and they turn up and they say, yeah, we've got a, a limit of 90 minutes 
that's what you paid for. And you know, 85 minutes in, Jürgen Klopp's starting to get an emotional and he's telling you something about his childhood and you want to carry that on. Mm. And you said, well, yeah, clock's down. I just, it's just not, it's not for me. I, yeah. Other people want to do it, it's fine, but mm. uh, I'm not going to pay for gas. No. Yeah, that, it's a fascinating discussion. I have paid for probably 10% of our guests and some of them have been the best ones we've done. <laughs> and there's one guy I can think of, I won't say his name, yeah. but I think because we paid him, I could ask some ballsy ass questions I wouldn't have been able to if he was free. Yeah, I think, you, I think you can do that anyway. I asked the president of El Salvador if he's a dictator. With his guards outside the room with guns. <laughs> yeah. I think you can do that anyway. Yeah. I if, mean, obviously, the idea is that you're not, but if you punch two or three divisions above your weight, yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's funny because I used to have all these principles, and then, you know, over 17 years of being in business, I sort of sometimes relax them, but I sometimes think, well, why don't you just try it? Why don't you try paying someone? You never know, because you're making an assumption about what the interview will be like, but you've never done it. Well, what is your podcast to you? Is it a business? Is it firstly a business? No, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for 17 years, so yeah. I've got 150 staff in my offices, and that's my thing. I've got a property portfolio, so this is... We're making memories, meeting cool people. Um, Thank you. And I, I, Yeah, we are. <laughs> and, you know, we handpick people most of the time, people I would like to have a discussion with. Um, and many of our guests have become really good friends afterwards, and I'm sure that's, that's the same with you. Yes, do we want to make money out of it? Yeah. Um, and have I financed it many years and not made money out of it? Yeah. But now we're making good money out of it because of the, the ad revenue and things like that. Well, I think for me is, is that this is a huge accident. Yeah, I said I wanted his life. I wanted to go out and interview people. Did I ever think I would be flying around the world interviewing some of the people I am and getting paid for it and be mm. able to employ six people off the back of it. No. And so <clears throat> it is a business. I run it as a business. Mm. We have a PL, and l track the data, yeah. you know, look after the staff, but it is an accidental business. I get to do the best, what I think is the best job in the world. Obviously, I would like to play up front for Liverpool and I'd love to be a Metallica, <laughs> but I'm not talented enough for that. So outside of that, the best, it's the best job in the world. Yeah, it is. I get, I get to sit down with someone like you or somebody else I'm... I get to handpick people I'm interested in and have a conversation mm. with them and get paid for it and get people thank me for doing it. It's the yeah. best job in, in the world and I don't want it to become transactional whereby I'm like, I, I think of it as a business first. Mm. This is a hobby I'm getting paid for. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't, I just, I can't see me getting for it. I would be surprised if Rogan paid for guests. I've got no proof, yeah. by the way, so I'm not yeah, um, no. creating conjecture or anything. I'm just saying that I've had a, some discussions with people who are like, how did that guest get on? That guest is not the, the standard. How did that guest get on? And they're convinced I wonder what kind of guest that is, to be though. on. I wonder what kind of, like, because you wouldn't pay for a politician. Politicians want to come on because they, yeah. the, they want the platform. But you'd think Joe Rogan could get anyone, wouldn't you? I think he can get anyone. Yeah. It's whether they want to go on Rogan, yeah. whether they like him. Would you or... pay 50 grand to go on Rogan? No. I would. No. I would. No, because no. I, I don't even want to go on. I, look, I, what would I go and talk about? There's only one subject, which is Bitcoin. I think there's people way better to do it than me. If for any reason in the world he suddenly said, I want, I want to talk to Pete, I want it because he's, he likes what I stand for, not because mm. he's getting 50 grand. Well, so do I. But what if there's doors you don't ever get to open because you can't? You can just speed it up a little bit. That is life. Like, I'd love to have Donald Trump on the show. What's the likelihood of me getting connected with Donald Trump? Quite unlikely, but if I could pay to play, would I? If I thought I would never be able to get him in the long game, 
I'd go for it in the short term. If I thought I could get him in the long term, maybe I wouldn't. Such is life. I, mean, yeah. I'll take... I mean, I'm not telling you you're wrong. I just like having these discussions because you learn stuff. Uh, a decade ago, Rob, I, <clears throat> my marriage collapsed after three months. I became a drug addict and was recovering. Don't worry, my dad knows. Had a very bad cocaine problem. Ended up in hospital. With and how S- long ago was this? A decade ago with oh, an right. SVT. My company collapsed. An advertising agency in Soho. Employed 40 people, three million turnover. Um, I, uh, my mum got sick with cancer. And uh, a lot of shit went on in a, in a few years. And I hit, eventually hit rock bottom, whereby I was two weeks from, away from losing my house. My company was gone, like everything was fucked, right? And out of nowhere, I start a podcast as, like I say, it's just a hobby. I was just, I was in LA, I met Rich Roy, and I said, I want that. I bought the equipment on Amazon, phoned up a guy, did an interview, and then all this stuff's come off the back of it. Mm. So my view now is what will be, will be. Yeah. What will be, will be. You know, if, if you pay for Donald Trump, well, what's after that? Oh, I pay for that guy, I pay for this, or... What if you just get it? Like, yeah. Portnoy got, got to interview him in the White House. Yeah. I don't think he paid for that. No. And like I said, we don't pay for 90% because it is more fun when you get them for free. And if you get known for paying, then how are you going to get guests now? Because they've just... True. Thought, yeah. I used to, when I used to work in advertising, um, during the, after the 2008 recession, a lot of our clients were um, restaurants, things like Pizza Express. And to try and get people in, they'll have to do discounts. You buy one, get one free, 40% off. There became such an expectation of it that the biggest difficulty that they had was getting out of it because it's like, well, Pizza Express haven't got a deal this weekend. Well, we'll go somewhere else. Yeah. And so if you did have that reputation, it might be like, oh, mm. yeah, Rob, Rob pays 10K if you go on. Yeah. Well, I know someone who I know he pays for guests and he just outright says he doesn't. And I know he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's his business. Yeah, it, it is true. We can still mention it. I haven't mentioned his name. <laughs> Who's that? I'm not mentioning his name. You tell me afterwards. Yeah, I will. Yeah. As long as you don't publicise it, because I don't think it's fair. Because no. I have inside information. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll let him have his secret. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been doing it? Seven sorry, years. I'm interviewing That's you. That's all right, you can interview See, me. That's it's the fine. problem. It's fine, you do it. We've been doing this seven years. In fact, our anniversary is next week, is it? Yeah. Yeah, we just recorded the seven year anniversary. Seven years. You'll probably be about episode 900 there or thereabouts. Wow. Have you, you been from the start? <clears throat> uh, I joined the journey six months in. So Pretty much. We didn't know what we were doing then. Do you have a mic? I don't, but I've been on the show here and there. Yeah, yeah I try and get Harry involved in the show quite a bit. We He's... made that change about uh, 18 months ago. Danny, my producer. And so is he in? Well, so he's off at the side, yeah. in front of his desk, but he has headphones and he has a mic and he has um, a camera on him. And very, like, very occasionally he has a question, which I don't have, which is a good question. And maybe you should do that, Harry. Young Jamie. Yeah, like young, young Jamie. Yeah. Old, bald Danny. Mm. <laughs> he looks like Tyson Fury. Right. He's from Manchester. But um, he, I mean, we have a screen with you know, pulling up the facts as well because it is a useful thing to have. But right. Danny becoming part of the show, I think, has, has uh, given the show more personality, takes the pressure off me, and uh, it. it it just, I think it's made it a more interesting product. Yeah. It's quite funny though now, because when we go away to these events, because we record abroad, or we go to conferences, and Danny's with me, people have got to meet him, it's great. But I've been going to events now, and they're like, oh, hi Pete, how you doing? I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm good. They're like, oh, is Danny here? And I'm like, fuck Danny. Yeah, yeah. My fucking show, Danny. <laughs> yeah. it, it's been really good for him, and he's now part of it. I yeah. mean, I'm not trying to tell you that he should give you a, a mic and a camera. Oh, I get him involved at time to time. He interviewed myself and my business partner for the 
anniversary one. Some of his laughs can be heard in the background, like with Katie Hopkins. You went to view Katie Hopkins? Oh, that's great. She's a god. It was great. <laughs> My show is called Disruptors. So I have to challenge myself and I have to interview people I wouldn't normally interview because it's on concept with the show. Do you see that award she won? That, that, where they yeah, so um, I was on their show. I went on their show, the <laughs> that, guys who did it. What was yeah, the name of that award? Uh, the, well, it was C-U-N-T, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. The, uh, I can't, I can't Do you know, can you remember what it was? <laughs> for anyone listening, I should explain, she got nominated for an award and whatever the four words were, they spelt cunt, yeah. and so they put it up on the screen and she collected it in front of her. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. See, there's certain people I won't interview, not, I wouldn't interview her. Why not? Because I think she's an idiot and she has nothing. I, I'm not interested in someone who is, I think, controversial for the sake of it. But how do you know until you've met them what they're really like? I can tell. I can, can you? I've got no interest in her. No. Donald Trump, I would. Yeah. Because I think he's funny. Yeah. I don't agree with everything, but I do actually agree with some things he stands for. Yeah. But something like Katie Hopkins, I, I just think she's like a, a cancer on life. Yeah. And I think she is divisive um, and she doesn't, she doesn't stand for much I agree with. Mm. Uh, and I think the, prob- the problem you have with a character like that is they, uh, they have an audience capture issue where she knows there is a percentage of the uh, world that wants to listen to her anti-immigration quite right-wing views and so she has to keep do she keeps having to broadcast these to main rele- maintain mm. relevance but it's a razor wire because she can end up cancelling herself um and i i, I just I, I don't know i find that kind of that's not the kind of person for me mm. yeah that's fair enough there's plenty of people i've interviewed intentionally challenging myself who i didn't think for were for me but my show is called disruptor so i like to i like to challenge myself on my own beliefs because um, i think sometimes we see the world how we think it is, not how it really is. Um, Andrew Tate, what do you think about him? I think he's an absolute cunt. <laughs> Sorry to keep using that word because it's, a, it's, a, it's quite a bad word, but I absolutely can't. St- I think he, uh, I th- I, I, I'm not into these people who uh, wrap some, some good messages, but obvious messages uh, around uh, a bunch of uh, misogynistic bullshit the way I see him is a loudmouth, controversial character who is running a marketing business to get people to pay for crappy crypto courses or courses in dropshipping. That's his goal. His goal isn't about uh, um, trying to um, trying to teach you know, men to be strong, powerful. Uh, confident individuals his his goal is to create controversy and send people get people to see his cars and think i want one of those let's go and sign up to one of his courses and make loads of money to me it's just it's like very transparent uh, and I, I i don't i don't like it and and i think i mean coffeezilla did a great thing on his courses the hellscape that is his courses um so yeah i'm i'm, I'm not a fan of his i also think i don't i disagree on his view on masculinity I don't think masculinity is about uh, showing that you go down the gym, you pump iron, and you tell women exactly how it is, and you act mildly misogynistic. I th- I think you can be. I mean, I'm not. I think you can be in good shape, but also respectful, and uh, and treat women in in a respectful, equal way. Uh, so, what is masculinity to you then? It's, it's not something I think about. No. I don't think when somebody says it, I, I would say. 
your masculinity thing, this message you're getting across, I have close to zero interest within it. I think what you are doing is you are uh, trying to broadcast a message to a bunch of uh, insecure people whose life isn't going the way they want and they see you as a role model. Nobody I know who I think is a confident, uh, successful, uh, uh, well-meaning person would look at Andrew Tate as some kind of role model. I think it's somebody who can't get laid, who feels a bit shit, and they see him and they're like, they're a bit excited about it, and then they go and join his course. I think it's very difficult to have a daughter and think of Andrew Tate as a great role model for women. Especially, I mean, my daughter came home one day and she was like, uh, she mentioned Andrew Tate, and I was like, oh, a couple, some people said I should get him on my podcast. And she was like, all the boys love him at school. I was like, what do they love about him? And she was like telling me. And I was like thinking, this is my daughter who's come into a world where she hasn't have to deal with as much of the bullshit as my mum did. And my mum didn't have to deal as much of the bullshit as her mum did, and so on. And now we, now for some reason, we've got these you know, groups of uh, people starting to perpetuate misog misogynistic messages. And it is still a man's world. Like my daughter has things that she cannot do because she's not a boy. And there's... You know, girls, you know, right now, my daughter's current age, that period from early teen years, all boys have to do is get to school and do their homework and play football. My daughter now has to think about, she's going to go through her period. That's a whole thing she has to think about. And that's a different, that's a different well, world. Men have puberty though, don't they? Yeah, but it's very different to the scenario where you're thinking about, I don't know when my first one's coming. What if it happens in class? What if it happens in the swimming pool? How do I deal with this? The, the, the uh, the change in the hormones that are going to happen in her body. The fact is that, that, that at some point she's going to you know, start having boyfriends and it's most likely the boy who's going to be more likely the one saying, yeah, at some point her age when she's, 50, I don't know, it might happen when she's 14, 16, 18, or a boy's going to pressure her for sex. She's going to go into the workplace, which is still, you know, we've moved on a, a long way in supporting women, but it's still a male-dominated space because... When men want to do business deals, they go down to the pub or they go to the football, they have a meal. You know, women don't do that side of things. It, I think we've gone a long way to rebalancing what is a tougher world for women. And I think Andrew Tate is now, he's taken us backwards. Why is he so popular then? Um, my favorite character in Star Wars is Boba Fett. And I quite like Darth Vader. My know. daughter's two favorites. <laughs> Yeah, I liked Return of the Jedi because the baddies won. Mm. Yeah, um, I think some people like an anti-hero. I also think he's come at a time where why people are fed up with the world. You know, people are fed up in the world. You know, the kids are. We, we, we've got a handful of kids who are going out and creating TikTok profiles or becoming footballers, and they're getting to live this amazing, cool lifestyle that that's getting broadcast into them. These kids are on Instagram or TikTok and they're seeing Bryce Hall, who's, I don't know, what is he, 20? Who's making millions. You know, you've seen these young girls making millions on Instagram. And these kids don't realize that, and you, you know, like making money is hard work. I've worked fucking hard for 25 years, right? It's hard work. And we're teaching them, actually, it is hard work. So they, they've got all these pressures that we didn't have. I mean, you look at these 16-year-old girls on Instagram now, like, they're all dressed up and doled up. They've got filters they're using to make themselves look different. They're putting fillers they're in their shit, face yeah, really young. shit in their face. Yeah. 18, 19 year old girls are getting boob jobs. Yeah. You know, we've got this, all this pressure. That we, when I was 15, 16, I played football, 
and we went down the park and drank a few beers. And the, the only outside world we saw was four channels on TV and then some sky. All day, every day, they're getting broadcast with messages of, look at this amazing life these people are living. And, and some people are pissed off at the world. Young lads are pissed off at the world because maybe they haven't got a role model who's taught them how to teach, to speak to a woman respectfully, or you know, they, they want to date a girl and they can't, or they've got a shitty job. They've been through COVID and everything. So I, 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 I think he is the anti-hero for people. I think he's the anti-hero for losers. There's a, yeah, there's a bunch of losers out there, and I don't know why they're losers. They've made got shit parents, or had a shit start in life. Is it fair to call them losers? Cause yeah, some of them are fucking losers. Yeah. Some of them maybe just have had a hard oh, yeah, some, love, some life and run. Yeah. Some people have had a hard life, and I mm. feel sorry for them. Some of them are just fucking losers. I think if you see Andrew Tate as a hero, you are a loser. You, are, you, have, you have failed. You have lost at life because, to me, he represents most of what is wrong with the world. You know, this... Can't you take the little bits of him you like and the little bits of him you like of other people and honour your own personality? Have you read Mein Kampf? No. Do you want to take the little bits of good stuff that Hitler said or do you want to just put him away in history as a... Well, as a... I suppose that's my choice, isn't yeah. it? Because um, when I started in entrepreneurship... I studied all the big entrepreneurs in the UK, all the dragons, you know, and the big American entrepreneurs, and learned a load of stuff from them and pulled out little bits. And I think it really helped me become an entrepreneur. I think surely we can be self-aware enough to go, I like that element of that person and that element of that person and that element of that person, because fundamentally, I think we all have skills and flaws. I mean, maybe, it's, it's just not for me. I mm. mean, for me, he, yeah, I think a large part of his message is misogynistic. People defend him and say, no, he isn't misogynistic. He's just trying to, I mean, he is misogynistic. He says a woman is a possession. Yeah, he says, if a woman earns money doing X, then that should be my money. That's misogynistic, okay? Um, I don't need to go and look for the little bits of him that I like, because I just don't care for him. I just look for the people I like. Mm. You know, who, who interests me in the world? who's a writer or an artist. And by the way, I think there's other people you can throw into that camp who are musicians. You know, you can say you are equally getting away with a similar kind of bullshit. Um, like? Um, Cardi B. Yeah, I never actually read her lyrics. Mm. <laughs> yeah, young kids are reading her lyrics. Even Billie Eilish, my daughter loves Billie Eilish. I read the lyrics of Bad Girl. That's basically about a girl giving a blowjob. And I didn't even realize at the time. And like, it's like, well, hold on a second. Why have we got 12, 13-year-old girls listen to a song about a girl giving a blowjob. That's, that's not good. And so, you know, I just... I'm a bit older. How old are you? 44. I'm 44. There you go. Yeah, We've we got a lot in common already, already haven't we? Who's older? January the 4th. Uh, you're a few, few months older than me. Right. Um, I don't know many 44-year-olds who think Andrew Tate is impressive and a role model. They tend to be... Like people like my daughter's age or teenage lads sometimes. My son, by the way, he's 18 and thinks he's a tool, and I'm proud of that. Uh, maybe in their 20s. I see very few 44-year-old men, <laughs> any of my mates thinking, yeah, he's a role model. I just think he's exploiting people to build an empire. Mm. And so I just, I, I don't need to look for, oh, the good things he stands for. Like, I don't need to look for the, the good messages that uh, uh, Hitler had in Mein Kampf. I don't need to look for uh, you know, the good messages 
I don't need to look for the good messages and people I fundamentally disagree with and don't like. Mm. Yeah, I don't need to look for the good things in Tottenham fans. <laughs> They're all tossers. Um, but I don't, I don't need to look for those. Um, you know, we've, got, we've got limited time in this world. You and I have an ever-decreasing amount of time, and we don't know how long that stretch is. We've either got an ever-decreasing 50 years or 25 years or one year, but it's ever-decreasing. I would just like rather focus on people I like who I think are interesting, who've got something interesting to say. Similar to Jordan Peterson, I've started to just kind of get a bit of bored of his shit. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I think, he, I, I think he has got interesting things to say, but I'm struggling to find them as much anymore. And so I'm just, I'm... Why do you think that is? Uh, because I think he, I think a couple of things can happen to you. I think firstly, you can get targeted and it makes you angry, and he has been targeted. And he seems angry. Yeah, he is yeah. angry, yeah. And, I, and, and some of the things he's been targeted, I completely agree with him. Yeah. This re-education thing that's yeah. come out recently is weird. Um, but I also think Twitter can change you, and it, re- it, it, it can reinforce you in certain ways. And, and sometimes, you know, I just don't want to just see this. Like, there's so much to complain about right now. I, I can't spend my time entirely where all the things you complain about. So I asked you earlier with your podcast, who are your ideal guests? This new one I would launch, I'd love to interview Jurgen Klopp because I love him. I want to mm. hear about you know, the challenges of growing Liverpool and, and thank him for ch- changing the fortunes of the team for the last 30 years, which has been pretty shite. Mm. I'd love to interview Stormzy because I think, I don't even listen to his music, but I think he's an interesting character. Mm. I think he's got quite a positive message. Mm. I'd love to interview a nurse on the front, my mum is a nurse, a frontline nurse now and say, what's going on in AED departments? What can be improved? I'd like to interview uh, somebody who's maybe striking for the rail, on the rail lines. Okay, why are you striking? What are the problems you're facing? How can people help you? Uh, there's a great lady on Twitter, I can't remember her name. She covers a lot of the immigration stuff. You know, people, like, people like Katie Hopkins would probably, if she had a Daily Mail columns now, would she be moaning about the immigrants? This, I would like to objectively know where these immigrants are coming from and why they're coming here and how many we get in compared to France and get some real data out mm. there. I don't have time in my you know, brain to deal with men need to be more powerful these days. We've given too much over to women. You need to get down the gym and you need to tell the woman that she's your... That's fucking... That's for like... I'm not, I'm not 12, I don't care. Mm. So I get why some people like him, and yeah. maybe on your YouTube, some of the people would be commenting, like, yo, no, you don't understand Andrew Tay, and you're only saying the little bits you've seen. Oh, I just don't care, I think he's, mm. I think he's full of shit. Should we talk about money? Have you interviewed him? Yeah. Did you like him? Um, I met him, and my entire experience with him was positive. Um, but I don't know if, I imagine, that the online persona is very different from the behind the scenes. So I don't feel in any way the need to defend or justify. I'm here for your opinions. Mm. And if we were having more of a discussion, I'd put some other points across. But um, my show is called Disruptors, and so I like to go to disruptive people. And I always like to challenge my own beliefs because I think you can get a bit myopic in your own beliefs and you cannot see a lot of the world. Um, And I interviewed Jake Paul, and he was rude and late, and probably stoned and couldn't have given a fuck about being on my interview. Andrew Tate turned up 25 minutes early, was respectful, was kind, treated my team really well, um, stayed for three hours and 17 minutes, immediately gave me his phone number, stayed in touch, um, supported the launch, and that was my personal experience of him. And then you've got online. 
What do you make of the whole allegations of rape, coercion? Well, I think he's accused of three things, human trafficking, rape and organised crime. I don't know the truth. And if I, he was in the UK, well, he was accused of rape and coercion in the UK. Yeah, and there's been some theories that the, one of the reasons he's in Romania is running away from that in the UK. Well, he said it's, he, he said it's easier to get away. They've got more relaxed laws for sexual... Well, he, he definitely said that the laws were more relaxed in Romania, which of course is some irony now, yeah. being that they're going for him. Well, it's not ironic. It's what, it's what he said and what he's going for. Yeah. But ironic is, is per chance it happened. It's not well, per chance. He's no, said, that's why he said he's, he's going. He's gone there for the relaxed laws and the relaxed laws have imprisoned him. So that's what I mean by or, ironic or paradox or whatever. Um, like, I believe, I believe it for you, for me, for Harry, for anyone, we should have a fair trial. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Innocent until proven guilty. Yeah. And it, I think he'd be getting a different trial if he weren't in Romania. Because uh, I think that just arresting him for 30 days with no real... Um, apparently there's no evidence. His lawyer's come out and said there's no evidence. And yeah, he his could lawyer, lie. His lawyer said it. Yeah, yeah, but you risk getting struck off. Do you think um, the Matrix has come to get him? Well, look, I don't know. So the, the honest answer to all these is I don't know. And so therefore I'm just giving you opinion... Um, here's what I do know. I'm friends with someone who, about four years ago, was probably the biggest celebrity in the UK. And um, the mainstream media phoned up his ex-girlfriends, partners, women in his life from way back when, and offered them all 25, 30, plus thousand pounds to make up a story. Who offered him that? Um, the press, the mainstream media. They didn't offer him, everyone in his life, his exes, his, all the people that knew him, they, bunk, they said, look, basically said, um, yeah, tell us something about Kev that we want, we'll give you a load of money. That could be happening with Andrew Tate. Of course it could. He could be guilty of those accusations. I think they're probably both equally likely. Why, why do you think the world uh, convicted Harvey Weinstein before he was convicted, but these same people seem to defending Andrew Tate, Tate and saying he deserves a fair trial? What's the difference between Harvey Weinstein and Andrew Tate? I don't know much about the Harvey Weinstein Well, Harvey Weinstein case. wasn't where running a webcam business. I mean, I think Harvey Weinstein was guilty, and I think he's a piece of shit, let's be clear. But he wasn't running a webcam business. He was a Hollywood mogul who was coercing women. And, you know, uh, I, I can't remember if he was convicted of rape. I think he was. Yeah. Um, Asia uh, Argentus, she accused him of rape in Cannes. But he, everyone had him down as guilty before he was sentenced. There was very, we didn't hear people going, innocent till proven guilty, you know, you know. But with Andrew Tate, he's got... Well, I think he's got, because he's got tens army, of millions of fans, probably. An army of simps defending him. What's a simp? I don't know what one is. I, th I would say a simp for him is somebody who is uh, coming to the conclusion that he's innocent and, and explaining what a great person he is, despite there being very right. serious allegations and let's, not, let's just be very clear, these aren't just random allegations. He, he was accused of rape and coercion in the UK. He moved to Romania. He said he was moving there because of more relaxed laws. He ran a webcam business. He admitted, he, he put out the strategy on his website. He says, I convince girls that they will be my girlfriend. Love a boy method. Love a boy method, yeah. you know, and then I make them kind of fight and compete with each other. I control their money. You know, he's very controlling individual, and then he gets them to work for sex on, on camera. There is significant public evidence that he is a piece of shit. 
Yeah, piece of shit's different from a rapist, isn't it? Well, the significant evidence that he is a coercion... He admits to coercion. Now, coercion's a crime here. We've had people convicted of coercion. Um, and, and, you know, there's even a young girl who was convicted of here because she was both coercive and abusive to her boyfriend. But my main point is, is that there weren't very many people for Harvey Weinstein saying, well, hold on a second, mm. you know, this is a Hollywood mogul. They, you know, these could be girls who have you know, upset they didn't get a, a part in a film or, you know, this could be the Matrix trying to take down Harvey Weinstein. Everyone convicted him. Mm. I'm glad because he's a piece of shit. But why? Why, if, why is there a different set of rules for Andrew Tate and Harvey Weinstein? What's the difference? Well, I'm not sure if there's a different set of rules because they're going to, they both tr will be tried uh, under law. I'm on about the public yeah, trial. Yeah, you're on about public opinion. Public trial. Yeah, okay, trial by, I mean, I don't believe in trial by public or social media. I, I think that that is, someone is either innocent or guilty as long as they're given a fair trial. You don't? I absolutely know that trial by public opinion happens and conviction by public opinion happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm yeah. just saying I believe someone should get a fair legal trial. Oh no, of course, I'm, yeah. with, you. I'm with you. Yeah. But we, what is the difference? So I think because, I think because he's got um, tens of millions of um, fans, you, you know, hardcore, die hard Andrew Tate fans. That's why I think, I don't think Harvey um, had the same, did he? That, that would just be my answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's because he has manipulated public opinion with the way he's broadcast his message. Well, I suppose you're out there. anyone who's out there in the media is doing that, aren't they? You are doing it here with your opinion. You are giving your opinion, which could have other people change their mind. Is that not manipulating opinion? No, I think it's sharing opinion. I think manipulation, when you manipulate opinion, you are, it's a direct action where you are trying to control, I'm not trying to control narrative, I'm saying... This I mean, you're pushing opinion. this pretty hard, anti-Tate, aren't you? So... Yeah, because yeah. it's a piece of shit. Mm. I mean, it's a clear, obvious piece of shit. And, and it's, like, it, to me, it makes me really sad like, that someone like that is the hero. I went down, I made a film in Harlow about inflation. And I went down there, and there are nurses now coming in there and using food banks because they can't make ends meet just with their salary as a nurse. And bear in mind, my mum was a nurse. I said this in the film. I used to go to Sainsbury's with my mum and do the shopping. And... While it might not have been easy all the time, she could, you know, they could do the shopping. My mum and dad never used a food bank, right? Now nurses are having to, they have no choice. And these are nurses who are doing this following having worked their asses off through COVID. Now that is a hero to me. That is someone we should praise and celebrate. Not someone because he's got a Bugatti mm. and talks about controlling women and running a webcam business. You know, imagine my son looked at that and said, you know, this is fucking great. What a hero. I want to be Bugatti. I'm going to start a webcam business. Now, I've got no issue with sex work. I, people, anyone, any adults can earn the money they want the, the way they are. I just think we are starting to create heroes out of absolute shitbags. Mm. Like Jake Paul. I don't see him as a hero, but people aspire to him. Like they look at him and think of him as a hero. Mm. And I just, there's, I just have a preference for, for different people with different messages. And I, have, uh, I would like people to be more consistent in and how they treat people who are accused of certain things. I think Andrew Tate is innocent until proven guilty, and even if he is proven guilty, I still think he's a piece of shit, but, but I think people should be consistent. How do you mean by be consistent? Because if you're gonna, you've got the same innocence until proven guilty, okay, then we should reserve that for everyone, because mm. what'll, you know, 
you can have you, lives could be ruined by accusations. His could be ruined by accusation. Mm. But I think at the moment we live in a world where we do the trial by social media, and that trial happens based on whether we think they're a cool character or not a cool yeah. character. Which is fundamentally very wrong when you can, like you said, you can ruin someone's life yeah. by what you say. It's pro probably none of this going to change. Yeah, probably none of this will change and it will just be the way it is. But yeah, I just, you know, like Andrew Tate, right? All the people in the Bitcoin space have had him on their show. There's Leia Hyburn, she had him on her show and then he's become her whole character. And because she got millions of YouTube views on it. Uh, Pomp had him on, got 2.9 million downloads on it. On one YouTube video alone. Um, I think I did three and a half million on YouTube last year alone, across all my shows. I could have got Andrew Tate on, because he was, he was doing the road shows. You know, people said get Andrew Tate on. I knew if I got him on, I would get probably a million downloads of that show. But I didn't, because why do I want him? Do I want him for the downloads, or do I want him because I think he's got something to offer my audience? I would hope my audience are interested in more different things than what he has to say. So here's the paradox. I've had him on my show, and I think this discussion's been brilliant about him. Yeah, but we're having this discussion because people like you and uh, Leon are having him on the show, and then they're, they're, they're making him into this hero. And I just think... Well, I, I challenged him. I, I wouldn't say I made him into a hero. He oh. didn't need me to go viral, and I certainly challenged him on plenty of things. So, yeah. Did it go viral? Um, yeah, it also got demonetized. It really? blew up and then got demonetized, which this one probably will for the C-bombs. <laughs> so it proves we don't really care about the money. You can beat them if you want. Um, I want to talk about this nurses thing, because <coughs> I've got a theory. People always ask why aren't nurses paid more? Because they're controlled by government and public sector, not private sector. Yeah, I agree. Um, people don't talk about that, though. And I believe nurses should be paid more. Damn right. But the government won't pay more. And it's the government's responsibility to pay more. Government are in massive amounts of debt. Think about all the money that you pay in tax, first off, goes on national debt. I mean, I was trying to work this out and calculate, even if they I only pay 3% numbers. interest. I know the numbers. So you do? do you, yeah, so do you know how much, do you know what the total tax receipts for the UK government is? I don't know. It's about one, one or 1.1 1 .1 trillion. A year? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what the, the biggest line item on that spend is? I would have thought uh, repaying the national debt. No. The biggest Paying line... the politicians their salaries. No, no, that's really low. Nah, um, no, it's not really it, it, it is comparatively. Okay. So the biggest line item is uh, the NHS. It's 200 billion. So it's 20% of... 20 and it's a bucket percent. with a great big hole in it. Yeah, we should come back to that because I've, I've got views on that. Mm. What do you think the second item is? The national debt. Paying off the national debt? Yeah. So the second line item is paying the interest on the That's what I meant, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's 120... It's 3.1 trillion, is it, the national debt? Yeah. I don't know the number, but it's, yeah. I know the interest alone is 120 billion a year. Well, that works out about 3%. That sounds about yeah. right, yeah. Well, you're a money guy, you shouldn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Smart. Um, <laughs> do, you know yeah, how much we, do you know how much we spend on education? Not enough. 73 billion a year. So we're now spending more a year on servicing debt... Yeah. Which is getting bigger. Which is getting, yeah, it's getting bigger. We're more just service in debt than we're spending on education. Yeah, okay? a lot more. So imagine you had that 120 billion in education. You could triple the education budget if you had that money for education. Now, could you imagine the quality of the teachers we would have, the quality of the materials they'd have, the sports opportunities these kids would have? Can you imagine what we would be given if we had that? Maybe they wouldn't be looking to an Andrew Tate as a hero because they would have heroes in their classroom. Imagine you could double the salary of teachers. Imagine the people, imagine, like, like uh, Louis C.K. does a whole skit about teachers and saying, why would anyone do this job? It's low paid, 
Also, if you do a brilliant job, what do you get? You don't get a bonus. You might become a head of department. You might become a head. That's pretty much the public sector, isn't it? That's why I love the private sector. I think there's, got... there's, there's, different, there's different opportunities depending on the job. But what I'm saying is, imagine you had that money for education. What the things you could do and the things you do with these kids. And we don't. We have 120 billion just on service and interest of debt. Why, are we so, why do we have so much debt? Actually, another question for you, or another point for you. If we want to pay off that debt over, say, I don't know, 20 years, we have to take 240 billion out of our, spe our current spending, okay? Because 120 billion, so we're increasing the national debt by 100, 120 billion a year, right? If we just want to get back to you know, parity, we have to take 120 billion out. And if we want to start paying it off... And there's no upside incentive for a politician to do that, is there? Well, this is the problem. The whole system. You give politicians... The, this, is like, this is like when we blame one party. People are like, oh, we need to get rid of Conservatives, bring Labour in now. And they're probably right. And what's going to happen? They're going to do exactly the same. Mm. Because there is no incentive for someone to, to, to bring in austerity. The Conservatives tried. They yeah. did it in quite an evil way, but they tried. Could you imagine Labour coming in and saying... Our problem right now is the interest on the national debt and uh, the country's getting into more debt. What we need to do is now pay off this debt and so that we're going to have to cut our spend by 25%, which means all these line items, we've got to take 240 billion out. Who's going to vote for them? No one. But if they come in and say, oh, Tory's rubbish, you know, we're going to you know, reduce tax and whatever they do, mm. they cannot do that. You cannot sell that policy to the public, which means whatever happens, we are now in what's known as a debt spiral. Every fiat currency, you know, dollars, pounds, mm. tends to last about 90 years, and they collapse. Yeah. We're seeing them collapse around the world before us already. We had Venezuela and Zimbabwe collapse years ago. Lebanon collapsed in the last year. Uh, Turkey is collapsing. I think they've got like 90% inflation. We've hit this kind of 10% inflation. Um, we, with this inflation, we have a growing wealth divide, so eventually they cannot, they cannot get off the drug, which is the money printer. So we, we have now a spiralling problem that we cannot get out of. It, it's impossible because either you pay off the debt or you which don't. Or, or you go bankrupt, which you, they're well, not going to want to do either. You can't go bankrupt. You can default. Yeah. But if you default, you won't be able to borrow. Yeah. Um, you can print your way out of it, which means you essentially uh, uh, drive, a, you'll crash the pound, yeah. which Liz trusted that, and, and we saw what happened there. Yeah. So what happens is it's, it's a death by a thousand cuts. We're going to have a slow death spiral of our currency. Hence why I'm into Bitcoin. <laughs> well, I want to get to Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the money system a bit more. Because yeah. um, I fundamentally agree with everything you said there. Um, and, you know, people talk about fiat as the, the ultimate Ponzi scheme. Um, in a way, fiat currency is almost like one of the most amazing inventions ever. I mean, you know, you run a business. If, would you like to be able to create your own currency and print it on demand uh, as debt? Probably. I would. Do you remember from our childhood a TV show called Round the Twist? They yes. were Australians. They lived in a lighthouse. Yes. Do you remember the episode where they had the machine where you could copy something, but it would do it in reverse? So if I put that in, the writing would come out backwards. And the guy put the money and it came out backwards. He said, oh, I'll put the backwards money in and it came out forwards. He printed loads of money. I always think of that. I always think of, of, of what the government has with a money printer. If I had my money printer upstairs and I could go up there and I could go and print 10 grand for 300 grand, would I do it? Fuck yeah, I'll go yeah. and buy a Lamborghini straight yeah. away. And every, every problem you've got, you, that would be the solution. Yeah. yeah, but what happens if I keep printing that money? 
I keep putting money into the system and buying things. So I'm taking up demand. Uh, I'm sorry, I, ha I have demand. So I'm taking up the supply. So I'm increasing the prices of things. And I don't think people really, our, our government doesn't teach people about education, uh, about finance. Like, what incentive is there? We teach a little bit of Keynesian economics, which is basically bullshit money printing. Uh, if we study economics, but we don't teach any form of Austrian economics. Well, why would they want you to know and expose their own system? Of course. Yeah. But you sound like a conspiracy theorist when you say this. Yeah. They're like, oh, Pete's crazy. He's a conspiracy theorist. It's like, no, go on the OBR website, the Office of Budget Responsibility. It's there, plain and simple. Now get a get an Economics 101 book out about supply and demand, and then what happens to prices, okay? If you put cheap credit in the market, if you have 0% interest rates, you're saying to people, you can borrow money for free, mm. okay? And if you borrow money for free, you're gonna buy stuff. But when we have 0% uh, interest rates, who gets the large amounts of money? Yes, you can get a low interest rate mortgage, one, one and a half percent. But you can go out to massive, massive companies or funds, can go and borrow billions, and then they can go out and buy the assets. BlackRock buying homes, or whoever it is buying the homes out in the US following the 2008 financial crisis. You are, you are, allowing an elite group of people to, to distort the market, to go and take up the assets, the scarce assets, which makes houses less affordable for the peasants. And so it's not, this is not conspiracy theorists, this is the serious stuff, this is Economics 101. We extend, my daughter's got an exam today, sorry, I'm going off on one. I was like, she's like, we were driving school, she said, oh, I've got a test first thing. I was like, what is it? She said, Latin. I was like, okay, she said, yeah, basically, I've got to remember words. We've got to like memorize them, write them out. We are teaching kids to go to school still Memory and memorize recall. facts. Yeah. When, what do we give them? It's over there. We give them a su supercomputer in their pocket. They've got a device that's more powerful than the, the, the um, Apollo whatever that got us to the moon. Is it 11, 10, three, whatever, 13? Is that what the film? I think that's the film. Um, <laughs> anyway, we're giving them a supercomputer in their pockets where they can go on and ask any question and get an answer. They've, we've now got chat, chat GPT where it can write your uh, coursework for you. We're sending them to school to memorize facts when we're not teaching them about finance, budget responsibility, how the economy works, philosophy. You know, we've taken sports away from them. We've taken the arts away from them. All the things, that the, these great skills that they would need. Why? Why have we done that? Well, I've been, try they? I've been trying to find this answer for probably a decade. Um, I think I know the answer. I think I know the answer. So we need a dramatic pause now. A, dramatic pause. <laughs> a drum roll. I think I know the answer is that... Well, because it creates decentralization. It creates... No, no, I think, um, I think governments have... Governments employ the most stupid people in our society. I think the, outside of things like uh, the police, the fire, the you know, really important services, the general kind of like local councils or government, they employ, we employ the most stupid people in there. And we employ people who cannot lose their jobs. And we give them jobs where they have to come up with new rules and ideas. Like every single new law is an encroachment on your freedoms. Every single one. Now, some we can argue are good or bad, but every new law is an encroachment on your freedoms. And in doing so, what we allow them to do is to expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I'm going to say something that sounds really intelligent, but I'm stealing this from somebody who said on my show, so I'll just be yeah. honest. Um, since World War II, our government's become an insurance provider. Okay? 
So what happened in World War II? We had massive amount of debt so we could uh, uh, defend Europe against the Nazis. And we, we, you know, we took on massive debt from the, the, the Americans to help support us in that war. And, it, you know, and a great thing we did in defeating the Nazis. Following that, the UK had a lot of debt. What did we do after that? We increased taxes and increased productivity. But ever since then, what we've become is an insurance provider. Okay, you're unhealthy, here's free healthcare. You're retiring, here's um, social security. Here's free bus passes. We've become an the insurance provider. banks go bust, we'll bail them out. Yeah, 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 but we've become an insurance provider. But the taxpayer's paying the insurance, we're paying it ourselves. But there isn't enough tax. There isn't enough tax receipts to do this. Mm. So what we've done is we've become an insurance provider, a failed insurance provider, who keeps getting bailed out from a, 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 an endless money printer. Okay, that's what we've done. And it doesn't work. All it does is make the poor poorer and the rich richer. And it divides society. That's all it does. I don't know the answer, I just know that it's the problem. And no, I'm not a uh, anarchist by any stretch of the imagination. I think we need government, but we need government with responsibility. You know, and I, don't, like, I try and think of ideas, but I'm not smart enough, but I'm like, the government has a budget, if the government goes over budget, should that tr trigger a what about general election? Had, yeah, what about if they had the same rules as the private sector? Because if you and I trade insolvently knowingly, that's fraud. We yeah, can go fraud. to prison, but they've been trading knowingly insolvently forever. For decades. Yeah. yeah. So what about if they had the same rules as the private sector? What about if they had upside reward? Because I think governments are one of the worst allocators of capital that exist. Because they have no upside. One? <laughs> All right, Who's the worst. worst. Yeah, <laughs> the worst. Well, my child maybe might be worse. Um, they'll just go and buy Lego with it. Um, I guarantee you. But they don't get any upside for investing the money well, and there's no downside if they lose the money. Whereas us, us, we have upside and downside. I guarantee you my daughter is a better allocator of capital than the government. I guarantee you. How old's your daughter? She's, uh, she's going to be 13. Okay, so. mine's eight, so that's why I say. Right. And, but no, I bet your daughter is. Does your daughter have a piggy bank? Probably, yeah. Does I she mean, it's probably not piggy anymore, but... Does she have her own money? Yeah, and I teach her about money. Okay. Yeah. Okay, my daughter has savings. Okay, and when she wants something... So she's not insolvent. She's not insolvent. <laughs> yeah, she's, she is a better she's in credit. And she knows when she wants something, she has to come to me and say, Dad, how can I work yeah. to earn this money? She understands she has to be productive to get the things she wants. She's productive. What we've created with the government is a... They are, a, they are vultures. They are rent-seeking vultures who extract capital from the productive parts of society. And then all the people that are productive, they take a load of tax off of them. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you some I've got so many examples, right? This, this, oh, I'm breaking one of my rules. Yeah. The house I've just moved into, one of the rules was that we, for the, for the house to be signed off and approved, there had to be a wheelchair ramp outside. Okay. There's a gravel track that leads to it, which it doesn't suit uh, somebody in a wheelchair. Nobody in this house um, is disabled. I don't know anyone disabled. But somebody created that rule, so that ramp had to be built. Now I've moved in, we've thrown the ramp away. I mean, it's just utter stupidity, but what you've got is people working in government departments coming up with stupid rules all the time. And what they do is they extract value from the productive parts of society. And look, and I've got no issue with tax. I mean, I pay tax. And, and, and I think we should pay tax. And I like the fact that we mm. have an NHS. But it has and to I, be fair and equitable. It does, and it has to- and it, it has to go in the right places. Yes, but we don't. What we have is stupid people extracting value from the productive people in society with no recourse. With no recourse. Mm. Who've never run a business, probably. Never run a business. Yeah. And, and 
and very few people understand it because very few people know what re is really going on. And they won't teach you in school. They won't which teach is where you school. should learn it. They won't teach you in school. When people like you and me talk about it, we, people think we're conspiracy theorists. It's just like we need to do a better job at educating. Like when I say we, fuck the government, they're not going to do it. They're all a bunch of morons. Mm. They're all arguing about, they all come to the middle, too scared to offend anyone. You know, yeah, whatever. It's up to people like you or I now to get this message broad and wide. We know that we can't trust the media anymore because it's not re it's basically corporate media. I don't hate the BBC. I think the BBC does some good stuff. And I think there's some good reporters who work for Sky News. But generally speaking, the corporate media, uh, media doesn't do much. There's a real lack of investigative journalism. People like you or I, who have people who listen to us, have a duty to not be captured by audience, not waste, well, me, and not waste time on Andrew Tate to focus on telling people the reality of what's going on in the world. I think that's a duty we have because we are in a, we are in a financial debt spiral. If the debt's not paid off, the debt's getting bigger. And if the debt's getting bigger, it's going to drive more inflation, which is going to have a widening gap in society. And what actually, it, what, what, what happens if, you, uh, have, if the gap gets too wide in society? You have revolution. And those are bloody and dangerous and people die. You know, let's just, be, let's just be very honest about that. I was out in Chile during the riots and the protests there. People, people protest and people die. You know, we have seen that all across the world. And we should, the reason I am a Bitcoiner and I'm a fan of Bitcoin, because for me, it is, a, it is a peaceful revolution. It is a way to educate the people around money, educate the people around government and peacefully protest. Because I'm not picking up a pitchfork, I'm not picking up a gun, I am sending a transaction to you. I'm doing a financial exchange with no intermediary, and that to me is a, a peaceful revolution. So who controls the world's money? Oh, that's a good question. Well, it depends which money we're talking about. Nobody controls Bitcoin, and that's part of the world's money. Um, but generally okay. speaking, fiat, fiat currencies, well, yeah. they tend to be controlled by a combination of government and central banks. That tends to be it. The the problem is, as I don't think many people go in there thinking, haha, I'm going to be evil. The incentive structure exists so evil things happen. That's the incentive structure. You know, whether it's in the US and lobbying and you know, trying to deregulate markets for the benefit of specific industries, or you know, it's the government that's like, well, we want to stay in power, I don't want to lose my job, so um, you know, this is a policy we're going to pay that we know the government cannot afford, but we're going to do it anyway and we'll borrow more money from the central bank and we'll deal with the debt. Like, like the incentive structure is, and, and, and if you think about it, the political cycle's four years, four to five years. That is short term. The damage that's caused by the relentless printing of money or borrowing of money, it goes beyond that cycle. <clears throat> the problems we're experiencing right now started in 2008. The recovery from 2008 when interest rates went down to zero and we had um, you know, massive borrowing there. These things take years and decades to play out, but the political cycle does not allow you, does not allow the politicians the chance to challenge this because they will not get voted in. So it's the incentive structure that is screwed. Mm. Do you think maybe, you know, Vanguard, BlackRock, Blackstone, <coughs> you know, people talk about those, do you think they have as much control over the money than maybe some banks. I mean, they have a lot of money flow. I mean, I'll be out of my depth. I mean, I can, I could uh, come up with a thesis that they are and explain it here. And I, 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 I just don't know. Mm. But what I do know is like someone like BlackRock, 
someone like Larry, Larry Fink, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, when, he, when he promotes ESG, he has an incentive to promote ESG because he then creates the investment market where BlackRock puts the money and benefits from. Mm. I have no doubt that the likes of BlackRock and you know, other, you know, other large companies and institutions work together and manipulate the markets. I mean, but I'm out of my depth. Mm. Yeah. I, possibly, but I don't know. Mm. I don't want to guess. Yeah. So the reason I ask these questions by the way, I'm used to asking questions. I'm not used to being a guest. <laughs> Most of the things I'm saying now, I'm just repeating things other smart people have told me. Yeah, well, I agree with virtually all of them. I don't think in our money discussion you've said anything I disagree with. I have the same opinion. I talk about this a lot because I really feel like if you, if you can understand how the system works, it gives you a bit of an advantage. Um, because, for example, if you understand um, the, the way fiat currency works, well, don't keep too much of it. <laughs> Simple, really, because then your money's not going to be eroded by in inflation or whatever. And, um, you know, I know the conspiracy theorists love to talk about the great Ponzi scheme of fiat currency, but... It's a, it, the, the government running the fiat system is a Ponzi scheme. It is. Yeah, the fiat system's a pretty amazing invention in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, and, and, well, perhaps it's... I mean, again, this, someone will know better than me. Perhaps it's the central bank's involvement makes it a Ponzi scheme, or when it becomes a debt spiral. Look, fiat money exists and existed for a reason, and we need it, and it's done a lot for the world. You, you couldn't have got here without fiat money because you needed to buy the car, and yeah. buy the equipment, buy yeah, the yeah. petrol. Yeah. It is the corruption of the fiat money system by central banks, where you have eight or 10 guys in a room pulling levers to try and balance an economy with no idea of the, the, the long tail effects of that. That is, that is the problem with that and the government's ability to influence central banks or to borrow endless money from central banks to run whatever deficit they want. That's the two problems with the fiat system. It's the lack of rules. Like you said, they should just have the same rules as us. Mm. My view is if a government is going to run a, a, a deficit, then that should trigger a national election. As should Liz Truss, i.e. it's a penalty, a potential as, penalty. As should Liz Truss standing down have triggered a general election because we now have an unelected psychopath as a leader. Don't you... I'm probably going to get a load of hate for defending Liz Truss, but I couldn't give a fuck. I'm just going to say it. She's the only one I've seen in recent times in the UK that had any desire for growth. Yeah. And she got freaking kicked out in 42 days. Yeah, but, but she, she ran a set of policies which the, uh, she hadn't run by the, what is it, the, was it the Office for Budget Responsibility? I or? believe so. She didn't even run them by those, you mm. know, who would have probably said, these are great conservative policies, low tax, you know. Um, well, not uh, that low, but well, a bit lower. Yeah, reduced tax yeah. and, and uh, incentivise uh, growth. growth at a time when we're entering a recession, we've got high inflation. That is not the time. When mm. you, yeah, again, I'm out of my depth, but at a time of, uh, this kind of time of period, we've got high inflation, which they haven't brought under control. How have the US brought high inflation under control with higher interest rates? They've, you know, the Fed keeps That's hiking the, the rates. the main way to do it. Yeah, but they haven't really done that enough here. No. Inflation's still at, what, 10.5%? Yeah, and, and people do not forget, uh, remember, sorry, that the average interest rate's 5 or 6%, and people have got pissed on 
zero percent for 10 years and think that's normal yeah i remember my all my <coughs> mortgages and all my properties were six percent i thought that was a good deal i know i've i got an email from my bank saying i'm getting 2.8 percent on my interest on my savings i'm still losing seven percent to inflation yeah. but i'm actually getting an interest rate now yeah you know, these low interest rates they distort They're drugs they, they when they warp they warp the financial yeah. systems mm. because they they have no cost of money need borrowing money needs to have a cost yeah Okay, and 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 so anyway, so back to list trust. I mean, I, th- I I'm historically a conservative voter. My dad voted conservative, and when I first voted, he was paying my way in life. That's why I voted conservative. My brother did the opposite, and I used to love watching them argue. And also, I just wanted to, like suck up to my dad, so I voted conservative. <laughs> but I stayed a conservative voter uh, because I, I I the idea that you get to keep more of your money that you earn is something I I agreed with. I'm, I miss traditional conservative uh, policies. I.e. some proper capitalism, which we don't have right which now. Which we don't have yeah. now. No, what we have is, uh, we have a, what do they call it? A, oh, I've got the word they use. Um, but we essentially have a system which benefits the elites within the system. Again, I'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but we've built a system which allows the largest banks to fuck up and be bailed out and for people, to, large institutions and funds to have access to cheap capital to swallow up the assets. I, I, we don't have a traditional conservative policy anymore. We don't have roll your sleeves up and work hard. We don't have, what we have is a government that is just increasing and increasing in size, c- cannot operate uh, 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 responsible economic policies, and we have a widening wealth gap. Uh, we have people, like untold numbers of people relying on food banks. We now have, what is it, heat banks? People go, go to stay warm. I mean, this is the United Kingdom. Yeah, we were a successful first we world. We were. Well, we still are mm. a successful first world. Our GDP is high enough that we should be able to support the poorest in our country. We waste so much. How much money did we waste on COVID on, on PP? That, and that track and trace app as bullshit. well. I mean, if you're a, a company and you run your own business, you're not spending 20 billion on an app, are you? You're trying to get it for 100 grand. Yeah, unless, your, like... unless your mate's running the company that's building the app. Oh, there you go. And do you know what? The, the only interesting thing about that, they suddenly found 32 billion for that. It's a bit like um, when Liz Trust crashed the economy, they suddenly were able to borrow billions to, uh, to buy up the gilts. Okay. What if they suddenly found 40 billion to build football pitches around the country for kids to play football? Why can't they just suddenly find that? What is the reason they can find 40 billion all of a sudden to protect the bond market? It just appears, they've just suddenly got it. They can suddenly find 38 billion for track and trace. They can't find 10% pay rise for nurses. They can't find 40 billion for football pitches. They can't find money for uh, mental health care, but they can find, they can protect the bond market. So, why? Because they can find money whenever they want. But why are they not putting into those places you said? Because they don't care. They just, these people do not give a shit. So careerist politicians, yes, as of opposed course. to having a proper vision. Um, and may, you know, maybe they came in with good intentions. But if you're in a corrupt or bent or failing system, how do you succeed in one of those systems? Become it. You're, you're an entrepreneur. Name me one politician you look at now, you think I'd give you a job. None. What, I would, mean, you employ, none. what would you employ Matt Hancock to do? 
get um, a split of his celeb I'm a celebrity cut. I think he got paid 360 grand for that. Mm. No, I, no, I wouldn't hire any of them. Okay, so you wouldn't, what would you employ Liz Trust to do? Wouldn't hire her to do anything. Would you employ Rishi Sunak to do anything? No. What about Ben Wallace? No. Okay, so what about Keir Starmer? No. I don't mind Angela Rayner. I think she's all right, even though she's Labour. But what I'm saying is, you would not recruit one. I wouldn't recruit any of these fucking idiots. They, but we're giving them the most important decisions in our country. Why are these kinds everyone, of people coming through the system then? Because they are not employable within the private sector. The only time they become employable within the private sector is when they leave government because they have influence. Like Boris Johnson right now, was he on one million the last week? Or? 2.3 million since he's left Do you think office? a lot of people are doing politics for that then? So I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why they're doing it. Well, I, you know what it's like. You know when you're like at uni and there's like the young conservatives, young ladies, what the fucking weirdos. It's not the people you think, oh, he's cool. It's not your mates. You go, no, it's not real people. It's the weirdos. Mm. Okay? No one else wants to... Also, no one wants to do that job because you have your life ruined. Because um, uh, you're going to get... I mean, if I became a politician and they found out some of the stuff I've done in life, and I'm not going to confess because my dad's here, but, I mean, my, I'd be cancelled and I'd be done for. I yeah. could not become a politician because of my background, you know... Yeah. So all these things that point out to the private sector being the solution to all this, yeah? We just need a much smaller government. Mm. I'm not, I'm not anti-government but we need a much smaller government that is not rent-seeking of the productive people in society. Every time, when you pay 40, 50% tax... Yeah, and the rest? Well, say you're paying 50... Well, yes, because you that, pay your tax. Corp, yeah. income, business rates, yep. national insurance, and then everything you buy has got tax added on like that. It's two-thirds plus of your money. And then when you die... Pay you another 40%. Yeah, so your kids don't get it. So we tax and tax and tax. Yeah. But, but just let's be, let's be super generous and say it's 50%, let's just be super generous. You, we're in January, you have to work until July until you actually earn any money. Yeah. To give that money to the You're government. working half your life for them. Yeah. yeah, you are working half your life. Are you getting value for money? Are you? I mean, I'm, I'm grateful when I need my passport, they do a good job with that. And if, if you had a heart attack out there, you'd probably be grateful for the NHS and the ambulance service. Not even now, I, I, you know what? I don't use any part of the National Health Service anymore. I have private healthcare, and I use a private doctor's hand. There's a private doctor's So you're paying for the NHS through your taxes, but you're having to also pay private. And I'm happy to do that, because I want, I, I want- You're double paying. I've been to America, right? And I, I know what happened. People, someone can break a leg and have their life ruined. They can break their leg, and they don't have insurance, and their finances are destroyed because it costs them 200 grand. Yeah. Okay, it's, someone can have a heart attack. I, I don't like that system. I'm glad we have a system whereby anyone, no matter who you are, can get seen. The problem is we stretch that system to the limit. We're now risking the lives of people because it can't pay for itself. That, yeah, I need the NHS if I have a heart attack. It's not a private service coming for me. Mm. But the doctors, it's a three-week wait for an appointment now. Unfortunately, being in the position I can do this, but I, if I get an appointment, it's 45 pound, I get either seen the same day or the next day. The doctor, it's the same doctor every time. He knows me by name. He, he knows, I'm, I'm happy to share private things with him because I get to know him. Mm. And I'm glad I have that. But we have allowed these rent-seeking politicians to extract everything from the productive people. So it has that uh, compound effect, is that you now can't allocate that capital into productive ways. 
just say, just say tomorrow we were able to get rid of 50% of the government and your tax was still able to go down to 25%. What are you going to do with that other hire, 25 Hire more staff. Hire, yeah, yeah. yeah, build products and services. Invest in Spend it. money in marketing. Yes. All go back into the system. Yeah. yeah. You, Grow the economy. You are a good allocator of capital. And do you know what's great about the, the market is that what happens if your allocation's bad? You get penalised and, you, and you, you have to start again and skill up again. And you learn a good lesson. Yeah. And okay. you make money if you do well. What happens when the government makes a mistake with their allocation of capital. Well, they hide it, they lie about it, they spin about it and nothing. They tax us more. When they come up with these stupid policies, let's retrain people in this area on such, and like four people get trained and you hear about mm. it, they spent 100 million on this thing. They are terrible allocators of capital. And the reason they're terrible allocators of capital is they haven't gone out there and earned any capital. Yeah. You're saying to these people, you know, inexperienced people, they're taking money from someone successful like you, who's built a business, who's gone through those painful journeys, learned how to train staff, learned about you know, building a work culture, learned about sales, learned about like everything you've learned, you're saying, I'm gonna take your capital and I'm gonna allocate it better than you. We know that's bullshit, mm. but that's what happens. But what we are, we're stuck in this position where everyone thinks this party is gonna be best for our country, Oh, they're not so good anymore. Let's go to this party. Well, surely having a t just two options is not good, is it? Well, I mean, we have more options here, which is a uh, you know, release on the pressure valve, which they don't have in the US, which is even worse. Mm. But really, we have two options here, don't we? Really? No, we now have a third option. Which is? Bitcoin. And I keep coming back for that. We've, we've got a section on that, don't I worry. <laughs> but that is a third option. I now know... I don't have to vote. I don't care. I know my vote has no impact at all now. It has zero impact. And I also do not want to vote for what I believe is an idiot, whether it is Keir Starmer. Did you earlier refer to a psychopath as Rishi? Yeah, Rishi Sunak is a psychopath. I think he's evil and I think he's a psychopath. What do you mean by that? Well, like, firstly, I saw him. Did you see that video of him in the back of his car when he didn't wear a seatbelt? He was, like, literally talking to us like we're fucking five-year-olds. Like... We're going to be doing this for the economy. We're going to be creating jobs. He sounds like he's talking to primary school children. It's like, what, why are you talking to me like this? I'm an adult. I fucking pay your wage. Why are you, you patronising me? Like, that to me is not someone that, who is, I think instills any faith in the power of government. Secondly, he's absolutely a massive proponent and supporter of uh, CBDCs which is dystopian Chinese future, yeah. which is control surveillance state, which is, I fundamentally- By CBDC, central bank digital currency. Yeah, just central for, bank digital currency. Yeah. So anyone listening, at the moment, you know, we have a, we kind of had, even our, uh, our money's kind of decentralized in that, you know, I have cash, yeah. I can give you cash, and it's kind of out of the reach of the government. We gradually move into digital money, which means every transaction is being tracked. And anyone, just so you know, anyone listening, every single transaction you do on your card is being tracked. Every single one. But still, that, that runs through the banking system, which is separate from the government. A CBDC would be you would have a, an account with the Bank of England. I know they're meant to be independent of the government. Yeah. But what that means is... is For those that were listening, a double hand raise... Just questions that. Well, that, yeah, but what that yeah. means is, is that you can have your money stopped. Mm. At any point, if you fall out of favour, again, this is going to sound conspiracy theory, so I'm going to go down the conspiracy theory route and then I'm going to give someone reality. At any point, the government can turn around to you or a group of people and go, 
we stopped your access to money. You have no access to money now. Yeah. Now imagine waking up tomorrow and your only, your only wallet was your CBDC wallet and the government paused you. Okay, the immediate effect is I can't buy groceries. I can't eat. The medium term effect is I can't pay my mortgage. I get evicted from my home. The long term effect is I cannot function in society without money. Now, our government, they are meant to, they're meant to serve us as constituents. They are meant to, we vote them in and they're meant to serve us. When we move to a system of CBDCs, we are now slaves of the government. And that's not me a conspiracy theorist. We can see this in China. China is a surveillance state. China has a CBDC. China has a social a credit score system. If you do not, if you criticize the government, they can switch you off from the banking system. They can stop you buying train tickets, accessing transport. We can see the future, you know. Sci-fi writers are very good at, uh, oh, sorry, uh, film writers are very good at predicting the future. CBTCs are a dystopian nightmare from the future. It will be sold to us as a benefit. Let's just... What are the benefits will get sold? They'll get sold. You know, it's easier for us to manage inflation. We can distribute money to people who need it. Whatever fucking mm. shitty, stupid reason they come up with, it is dystopian future nightmare. Richie Sunak supports that. Therefore, to me, he's the enemy. He's evil, and I reject everything about him. Wow. So why is Bitcoin the solution to government, then? Oh, God. Um, hmm. The thing you've been wanting to talk about. So... so there's, Bitcoin will say the same, Bitcoin fixes this. I'm not saying it fixes everything. But in a world where we've got you know, an ever-decreasing amount of freedoms, an ever-growing surveillance state, yeah, an ever-growing watchful eye, or Bitcoin is the one thing they, can, they cannot control it. It is a decentralized money system. Now, if I want to send money to you via my bank, I can do it, but I know that transaction is being tracked by the government, and they can also stop it. A perfect example. If I go to the bank, to, well, if you go to the bank today, and you say, I'd like to withdraw £5,000 cash, what's going to happen? Load of checks and probably get rejected and ask a load of questions and money laundering excuse. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They want to know. Yeah. Um, every time, every time yeah. I withdraw cash, by the way, I always say it's for drugs and hookers, just to fuck with them. <laughs> but they always, they, they always do that. They yeah. want to know. It's like... But it's your money. It's your money. So yeah. I, I bank with Lloyd's TSB. I'm going to give you a couple examples. I bank with Lloyd's, I used to bank with Lloyd's TSB. I was with them for 25 years. About two years ago, I get a phone call. Um, and it's like, hi, Pete, it's so-and-so. Um, I'm, I wanted to do the, a review of your bank account. I want to ask you about some transactions. I was like, sure. What? And she said, this transaction on this date, what was it for? And I went, it's none of your business. And she said, huh? And I said, do I have to answer these questions? She said, no. I said, good, I'm not answering them. I didn't say this, but in my head, I'm like, I am a grown man with two children. I've run multiple successful businesses. You know, if you suspect me of a crime, report me to the police and let them investigate me. But you are not phoning me up and me have to give you a reason for every one of my transactions because I don't know you for shit. I don't know who you are. When I just bought my last house, I had to send six months of bank statements. So somebody who I don't know gets to go through my bank statements and go, oh, let's, let's see what he's spending money on. Yeah, that's, it's a complete invasion of privacy, right? Yeah, this is where the world we exist in now. This complete invasion of privacy. Privacy is the, one of the fundamental pillars of democracy. 
if you cannot privately hold opinions and privately vote, and you cannot privately uh, operate within society, what you have is coercion within politics. So we're lucky we live in the, the UK, right? If you live in China, you cannot privately hold certain opinions. If you're on WeChat and hold certain opinions and they're said, you can get, uh, you can get uh, ostracized from society. You can get removed from it. You can have your access to your bank account removed. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is the reality of the world. Let's give, people might say, yeah, but we're not in China, we're in the UK. So let's look at Canada. Most people would look at Canada and say, you know, that is a functioning uh, Western liberal democracy. So during COVID, some people decided they didn't want to get vaccinated. Great, that's completely your choice. I did, I'm starting to regret it. I'm not sure if I regret it, but some people chose not to. That is your choice. We cannot operate a Western liberal democracy and say to people, you have to have this injection. It has to be free choice because we know there's ingredients in these injections that might cause injury or death. It happened, I mean, a BBC presenter died after a vaccination. So we have to allow the people these fair choices. Now in Canada, the truckers decided to protest. Okay, these were largely peaceful protests. They were disruptive, but again, the, the right to protest is a fundamental pillar of democracy. You cannot stand in the town square in China and criticize Xi Jinping. You will be arrested and may be killed. Okay? You cannot stand in the red square in Russia and criticize Putin. You will be arrested, maybe tortured and killed. And so what happens in those countries? They are, they are dictatorships, they are authoritarian. Okay? There is no democracy in those, those places. And so these are important pillars of democracy that we have privacy, but, but the privacy has been stripped away now. And so that's, let's, go, let's go back to Canada. So the Trudeau government was essentially coercing people into having vaccinations who didn't want to have them. And the truckers who would be traveling and doing their job, which is you know, transporting goods across the country. By the way, so you stop trucking, you see how quickly the shelves empty. These are a bedrock of society that are important. They were being coerced into having vaccinations. To, I think it was to be able, they could travel to the US and perhaps it was when they came back, they couldn't come back into Canada. I can't remember the actual rules or they couldn't leave, but either way, there were people who said, I didn't want to be vaccinated and that should be their free choice. And they protested against this. Now, disruptive protests these were, but were they violent? No, they were truckers beeping their horns and being disruptive, a bit like the misguided uh, uh, let's stop oil protesters who glue themselves to roads. Do I agree with their protests? No, I think they're stupid and they've got, they've got everything wrong about the climate. But do I support their right to protest? Of course. Now, so what happened in Canada? Five, I think on a GoFundMe, it's about five to 10 million was raised to support these truckers. And that money was to go towards to provide them with food, you know, and supplies to support their protest. That GoFundMe account got frozen and the Canadian government, the Trudeau government, uh, 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 I, I can't remember if they stole that money or they sent it back. So that money didn't reach them. What happened next? There was a campaign to raise money via Bitcoin. Anyone who was involved in the fundraising, not anyone, but a large number of people involved in the fundraising had their bank accounts frozen, their access to money frozen. These people could not get money out of their bank and go and buy groceries. What was their crime? What, did, what was the crime they committed? They protested, and we say now that's a crime. 
Because if we're saying protesting is now a crime, we're saying the government has free power to do what they want. This is a Western liberal democracy. We've had now this encroachment on our, on our what are they saying now? There's like a, they want to have new laws for protests. protests. Yeah. yeah, I saw that as yeah. just more control. It's encroachment on yeah. freedoms. It's just encroachment, encroachment, encroachment. Mm. Okay, what if people ignore those and still protest? What if, yeah, what if Richie Sunak turns around and said, right, if you continue to protest, we're going to freeze your bank accounts. So financial privacy is an absolute fundamental uh, uh, pillar of democracy because we should, we should be able to protest and we should not have our ability to operate in society removed just because we're protesting by access to our money, especially if it's, and I don't want to say peaceful protest because sometimes you, you have to have civil disobedience. We should not be doing this. We should not be criminalizing protesting, okay? Because once you do that, you are coercing people into following certain rules. You no longer have a democracy. And so what Bitcoin does, but Bitcoin represents that taking back of control from the state. As I said, the government, the government their role is to support and look after the constituents who vote them in. We are not meant to be slaves to the government. Okay, we are meant to be the people who are in control. Now, I have a new form of money called Bitcoin. It doesn't matter what, they cannot freeze it. I can store my Bitcoin in my head by memorizing 24 words. I don't, because I'm stupid and I forget stuff, but I can. Okay? Nobody can stop me. If I choose to send that money to you, nobody can stop me. There's zero they can do. Okay? Nobody can stop me leaving this country with that Bitcoin, that Bitcoin, uh, uh, in, on a hardware wallet or stored somewhere. And that to me is a bit of control taken back from the government. That is, that is, that is just a, a, to me it's like a check and balance on the government to say, you know, you cannot control this part. And I, I think it's just an important little win yeah, as we kind of slide into this dystopian future. For me, it's just this little win that we have. Mm. And the great thing about the Bitcoin network, it keeps growing. Every four years, it grows, and there are more Bitcoiners. And those Bitcoiners are starting to educate themselves. So this is like, again, one of the most important things I think about Bitcoin. It isn't buying Bitcoin and making money. It is the rabbit hole you go down when you learn about what money is, how it works, and what a functioning democracy should be. And by the way, it's not every Bitcoiner. Some of them are libertarian, or some of them are anarchists and believe we should have no state. But the rabbit hole of information it sends you down, the things you learn, are more important than the buying of the Bitcoin itself. And I understand you also think it's the best form of money. I do, So we yeah. talked about it as a rebellion against totalitarian, authoritarian globalism, to yeah. stick all the words in. But you also think it's the best form of money. Yeah. Because you can be anywhere in the world. Okay, so I'll give you another example. I went out to Japan and did an interview and I hired a local cameraman. I could not find a way to connect my bank account to his to send him money. I could not send him over PayPal, there was blocks. He sent me a Bitcoin address and he had the money in 10 minutes. Okay, that was done, transaction done. Um, I, on the Lightning Network, can send, I can send Bitcoin to anyone in the world instantly and it settles instantly. There is no friction. There's no rent seeker in the middle. Okay, there is no surveillance in the middle. I am allowed to voluntarily interact with anyone and share and send value to them in the world at any point. Okay. That to me is a brilliant form of money. The second reason it's brilliant money is it changes the incentive model. At the moment, 
what happens if you save money in the bank? They lend it out. Now, what happens to your money? Like, what like physically happens to the value of the money you keep in the bank? Well, it goes down. It's a it's a melting ice cube. Yeah. You have a hundred pound in there next year. Its purchasing power might be ninety pound the year yeah. after. Yeah, it might be eighty five the year after that. It's a melting ice cube. The reason it's a melting ice cube is because they debase it constantly. Mm. Now, Bitcoin. You cannot debase. It is volatile, and we can come to that, and we can talk about that, but it cannot be debased. There's only 21 million. And because it's kind of essentially deflationary, some people argue it isn't, it makes you consider your purchases. So the incentive model for our money in the bank right now is to spend it, right? If I had a million pounds in the bank, I'd be an idiot to leave it in there. I need to at least find an investment where it's going to get 10% return every year, or I need to spend it and enjoy myself. But I need to get value from it mm. because the value is decreasing. If you look at the Bitcoin price chart, right? One guarantee is every four years, it goes up in value, pretty much. Every four years, it goes up in value. So, you know, Laszlo, who bought the, the uh, Bitcoin, he bought the pizza for 10,000 Bitcoin you know, years ago, now knows shit. If I'd have just kept that, that would be worth hundreds of millions. Now, I have bought things with Bitcoin where in the future I'm like, shit, that would be worth now. But so if it keeps going up, does that not incentivize to store it, not use it as an exchange mechanism? No, I still spend it, but I'm more considered about my purchase. Rather than my money in the bank now, I'm like, where do I spend it now? I've got to spend it. If I don't spend it, it loses value. Mm. I become more responsible. I'm like, okay, where should I spend it? Should, do I need that? Do I need that car? You know, do I, need, do I need to buy anything? What will that be worth in the future? Mm. And that also then flips the system that you don't have... You maybe have less companies like TK Maxx. No, not TK Maxx. What is that? Um, they made the document, um, the fast fashion company. Not TK Maxx. The like Zara. What's the other one? H and M. Companies like H and M, who produce absolute dog shit clothes. So anyone can go in and buy something for a five or a tenner. They're produced out in places like Vietnam. They exploit the workers there. And that fast fashion industry, as to pollution, you know, we have this world of buy, 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 keep fucking buying, don't save any money. That is because we have a system that says spend the money, you need to spend the money. Uh, my dad's day, it was, no, you save money, you save for the future, you save for a rainy day. We're now spend, spend, spend because of the incentives. Bitcoin has flipped that. It's gone back to being responsible. Now, it is a system that cannot be corrupted. You cannot change the Bitcoin protocol. You cannot, you cannot influence it. Every 10 minutes, whatever you do, another block will be created with the transactions in it. And that, what that does is you go from a system where the current fiat money system, there's a few people at the top that control it, and they decide what happens to everyone else. This is different. You get to voluntarily interact with it and decide what you get from it without any perverse external influence. And to me, that's just that's the best form of money. So surely then the government are absolutely going to do everything that they can. And when I say the government, let's assume it's one government, like some people say we're moving towards. Surely it's the antithesis of everything that they want to be out of control. I think it depends what you stand for as a politician. If you go out to Texas, which is essentially freedom country, Senator Cruz or Governor Abbott out there, they absolutely support Bitcoin because they support freedom and they know Bitcoin is a freedom technology. We don't really have that culture of you know, caring about freedom like Texans or even Republicans do in the US, but we do have some people that understand this, but we are a Western liberal democracy. If we as a country believe that Bitcoin is good and we educate that Bitcoin is good, we can overthrow a government or remove a government that bans it. 
And this is why it's so important to educate people on what Bitcoin is. Like, dismiss the FUD. You know, explain to people what it does, why you should care about it. And because we as a democracy can protect this. But it's up to us as a people to protect this. Do you think then there could be a future where there are multiple currencies and there isn't just one? Well, there is multiple currencies now, but they're essentially controlled by central banks. And essentially at the moment, the US dollar is the reserve one. So do you think there's a future where there's a decentralized current system, currency system? We do, Bitcoin. But then if Bitcoin becomes the... It's not, because it's only one. Decentralized isn't just one, is it? It's many. You mean a decentralized set of currencies? Yeah. I mean, look... Because I used to... Sorry to just jump in, but I used to think, that's not really realistic, is it? To have a set of decentralized ones. But before we had money, we had barter, so we had multiple decentralized systems. Yeah, and we have that now. I mean, you can see... Okay. Do we really, though? No, we do. So I'll give you two examples. Have you been to Cambodia? No. Okay, when you go to Cambodia... That's a big when. (laughs) Well... I can't remember what their local currency is, but when you're there in the capital, they want dollars. Because they know the local currency is shit. Yeah. Okay? I can't remember what it is. I know it's the dong in Vietnam, but I think I'm, cause I'm quite juvenile, that's why I remember that. <laughs> but but they, want, they want dollars, and yeah. when they want dollars, they look and they expect it, and if it's got a tear, they don't want it. They want yeah. crisp, pristine dollars. Why do you think they want those dollars? Because it's the reserve currency of the world. Yes, because yeah. they know their local currency is shit. trust it. And it's melting away. Yeah. When you go to, I've been to Venezuela. Venezuela operates with five currencies. They have the Bolivar, which is the worst currency in the world. They have the dollar, they have the Colombian peso, they have Bitcoin, and they have uh, the Petro. Forget the Petro. When you go there, nobody wants the Bolivar. They only use it because they have to, because the Maduro government forces them to. Nobody wants that currency. They want dollars, or they want Colombian peso, or they want Bitcoin, because they know it's a better form of money. They naturally know this. You at no point in your life in this country have ever thought, I need anything apart from the pound, right? Because it kind of works. Inflation's insidious. Well, it? I kind of do now. I want minimum pound and maximum asset. Well, there you go. Yeah. You've learned that. But like, yeah. generally speaking, you know, 2%, 3% inflation, it's insidious, but, but you can usually outperform it and you, mm. you get by. Argentina, multiple currency collapses, mm. yeah, probably 50% inflation now, whatever. I don't know what I'm just saying, I guess high. They want dollars. Mm. So if you're in a country where the money's shit, you naturally want the best form of money. Once you've got the best form of money, you don't need anything else. Well, once people have Bitcoin and they can trust it, it preserves their value, why do they need anything else? They might be sold that a new currency will make them more money, but that's a speculative investment. Once a currency has proven itself as the best, you do not need another currency. So other people might try and create them. I mean, they create them all the time. We call them shit coins. Mm. Have you got any money in shit coins? Have you ever gone into shit coins? Oh yeah, I did at the very start. I was like, I... I thought this was a, te- a technological revolution. I thought we're going to have all these blockchains and all these you know, solving problems. It's just a myth. What we had is we had a money problem and Bitcoin solved it. And no other shitcoin has done a better job because they're not as decentralized. Uh, they have centralized gatekeepers and just a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah. Bitcoin is like, an, it was like, I had an immaculate conception, right? Came out of nowhere. Mm. Now, if someone does create something better, fine, but they just haven't. Mm. Some Monero holders would say that's better. Yeah. Ether- anyone who's got Ethereum is absolute crap. Dogecoin is a joke. Are you one of these people that thinks there's Bitcoin and then there's <clears throat> everything else? 
Yeah. Yeah, there's a line between. You can't say um, all cryptos are like Bitcoin and all Bitcoins like other cryptos. It's Bitcoin and everything else. Bitcoin, not crypto. Bitcoin, yes. not blockchain. Anyone who talks about blockchain is a snake oil salesman, like blockchain experts. Like, but maybe there are some blockchain experts, aren't there? Yeah, they are, yeah. but they're snake oil salesmen. Because, How? Because block, the blockchain is just one part of, it's one part of the technology yeah. that makes Bitcoin work alongside proof of work and alongside the difficulty adjustment. It's just a component, okay? Mm. It's, it's a marketing term. If you say you're a blockchain expert, you are a snake oil salesman. You are trying to sell something that doesn't matter. A blockchain solves one thing, solves one problem. And that is? The double, the, 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 uh, double spending. Historically, when people have tried to create money, digital money, decentralized, one of the problems they ran into is the double spending problem. That I had this digital money, I could send it to you, but I also sent it to Harry. Well, how do we know who got it? The blockchain is a time-stamped, sequential set of transactions um, that proves who has what money. And that's all a blockchain. That's all a blockchain has done. They're shit databases. They're really slow. They're inefficient. But that's all it does. Mm. So now we have that. You know, we have this ledger. We don't need any other blockchains. They don't solve any other problem. Like you know, when you used to hear like we would use, we're going to track tomatoes on the blockchain for authenticity. We're going to have voting on the blockchain. That doesn't produce uh, any authenticity because there are with those systems, there's externalities to the blockchain. You know? tracking tomatoes on the blockchain that where they came from and that's a thing that exists it's all you're saying this is a database of records the bitcoin exists within the blockchain that's why it works right i'm interested in watches wouldn't it be good it's just completely random. what are you wearing i'm vacheron at the moment how many watches you got anywhere between 12 and 30 at any one time wow yeah, I sometimes move them around, and I've, I probably shouldn't say how many I've got. Well, you trade I? them? Sometimes. You collect them? Yeah. I collect trainers. Right, yeah, I saw your Nikes, yeah, yeah. that you were wearing. You like high tops, do you? No, I like dunks. I collect right. dunks. I've got about 400 of them. Yeah. That's my wow. thing. And do, do, you know, do you know why I collect them? Because the money's shit. I know if I buy a pair of dunks, a limited, yeah. I track them. That's why I buy in, watches. Yeah, in 10 years, those pair of dunks will be worth more than they That's are why today. why I buy watches. There you go. And you get to enjoy them. So I love Lego. I've got I've invested money into Lego because it, it goes down, the right stuff goes down less than 10% a year. I looked recently at the Death Star. It was 750 quid. Yeah. <laughs> I just bought the Atat. That's about 700 you quid. Did. The Star Destroyer. Do you the make them or leave them in the boxes? Um, well, I... I I love playing Lego with my kids. And I'm, you love playing with Lego? Yeah, yeah. I oh, know, yeah, I love Lego. I love Lego. I bet you're um, making it and they're just watching TV. No, well, yeah. I, and I kind of, when I make it with them, I have to remember to let them do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if, if something's retired, I'll buy it in its investment. Okay. Um, or a better store of money, should we say? Yeah. A decentralized store of money. So that has to stay in the box and be unopened. Even the seals, the seals are there. Um, some Lego. Uh, I build it, but I keep the boxes, I keep all the wrappers, I keep everything. So then I could take it all apart and sell it for probably 80 to 90% of what I paid for it for. So, you know, watches for me is a free hobby because I love them. And if I buy the right ones, they go up. Lego is essentially a free hobby. Money in the bank is a depreciating liability. So this is, I think it was Jeff Booth. He's, he wrote a book called The Price of Tomorrow. It's all about... Uh, uh, inflation and deflationary technologies yeah. and I'm pretty sure he said when the money isn't scarce everything else is 
Right, yeah, that makes sense to me completely. Because I want everything but money right now. Yeah. I just bought a 1989 911 Turbo. Nice. Yeah, 130 grand, because I would, if I lose 10% a year on that Porsche, which I won't, that'll go up. That's less than money. So my money is better in an old car than it is in the bank. Artwork, trainers, Bitcoin, front row of the Knicks, old classic cars. Yeah. Um, when the money isn't scarce, everything else is. If the money's scarce, then everything else isn't. Yeah. I hold Bitcoin because it's scarce. Mm. I have very high conviction. I have no conviction on what my value of my Bitcoin will be tomorrow. It could be fucking anything. I have very high conviction in 10 years' time, everything I've got in Bitcoin is going to be worth considerably more than it is now yeah. because it is a scarce monetary asset. Okay? People in Venezuela dump the Bolivar as soon as they can and they get dollars because that money is shit. The same happened in Zimbabwe, the Lebanese pound, the Turkish lira. People get rid of those currencies because they're crap. They want something that holds value. Bitcoin is the best version of that, but it's very early. A lot of people don't trust it and they think it's weird, so it's volatile, but it's mm. the best form of money. This is one of its downsides, isn't it? Because, I mean, I see a lot of the Bitcoin community and I almost see like, they're almost like, they're so evangelist, they can't see the downside. And they're betting everything on something that's, what, 20 years old? Is it 20 years old? What is 13, it? 14 years old. Okay, so. 2009. Yeah. Gen actually, generally. Not a lot of history behind it. No? And you said money um, through evolution every 90 odd years. Yeah, fiat currency 90 years, gold 5,000 years. Is it 5,000 years? I think it's 5,000 years. So, what, so are you saying Bitcoin could be the next 5,000 year currency? Well, it can be the next infinite currency if it's the best. Until the can sun... anything really be infinite? I mean, well, you, you... I say in, in, until until humans destroy themselves or the well, sun. That's definitely not infinite, sun, is it? The sun burns us. What I'm saying is four it, billion years. You know, the reason it can be the permanent future currency is because it is decentralized, so no one can corrupt it. Once it's the best form of money, everyone will want to use it. Okay. Yeah. All the other currencies were kind of coerced or forced into using. China, you have no choice what you use. You know, here we have a bit of freedom. You can you know, go and buy other currencies and yada yada. You can, I could pay you in Bitcoin if I wanted to. Yeah. I could pay you in, I could probably convince you to take dollars. Yeah, if I offer you 10% more, you know you can go and exchange it. Yeah. Um, it can be the, if, if it wins, and we haven't won yet. When you say win, like it against becomes, what? It becomes the dominant global, either, form of money or reserve currency. My, I think it ends up becoming a, it's the global reserve currency. Once it's done that, it's won. Once oil settles in Bitcoin, gold settles in Bitcoin, intra-bank settlement is Bitcoin. Once everyone says, I occasionally want Bitcoin. So when I get paid in Bitcoin for my company, I always say yes, but I sell a bit because I'm not 100% confident on the short-term price and I might need that money to operate my business. So it's, that's the telling, downside, the volatility of it. The volatility it. Yeah. is of it. But it's a decentralized currency. You can't go from zero to one trillion market cap in a straight line for multiple reasons, mainly because people exit. So you have to go through the typical fear and greed market cycle, right? Mm. But as it gets stronger, the volatility reduces. All it needs is more liquidity and more users. And yeah, this is a bet. I'm making a bet that this will be the dominant form of money. But I'm also... But I'm is, is that therefore maybe not a great financial decision to make a bet on something? 
It's been all right so far. Yeah, but you still have your money in other stuff. Oh, but I make, yeah, I mean, look, I make the majority of my money running a podcast, right? Yeah. But that is a bet, but it's also a vote. So it's a bet and a vote. Right. It's a bet that will be future money, and it's a vote against the cycle. Is it a use as a currency? Is it a, a useful currency for you that you can use day to day? I can do, and I do use it well, occasionally. Everyone who loves Bitcoin says they can do. But no, and I do occasionally. Yeah. Okay. But not so, down cost of coffee or no. getting your car serviced or anything like that. No, because I've got no need to. I've got pounds. Why would I spend? Why would I spend? Like, that's like dipping into my savings account when I've got my current account available. Mm. But when I went out to El Salvador, last time I went out to El Salvador, when I went to El Zonte, that is essentially a Bitcoin village. I didn't get any dollars out of the bank. I had my mobile Lightning wallet, and that's all I use when I was there. Sometimes when I'm sending money to another Bitcoiner internationally, it's easy to say, just, just give me a Bitcoin address. They yeah. send me a Bitcoin address, I got copy, paste, done. If it's bank account, I have to go in, they have to wait five days, it's just bullshit. Yeah. So if it's the better form of money, in that instance, I will use it. Mm. Hmm. FTX, Sam Bankman-Fried, what happened there? Well, it's just a con man. Yeah. It's just a fraud. He's, uh, he's, he's the crypto Bernie Madoff. It's just a, just a con man. It's like no other, no other thing. It's, it's got nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's just he's a con man. Yeah, people didn't really understand um, that uh, an exchange is not a decentralized platform, did they? No. No. He, he just you might as well have just given him your money. Yeah, I mean, he's just like, I, yeah, he, he raised a shit ton of money built a successful business, but he didn't have anyone keeping an eye on it. Like, if, if, you're, if you're investing $200 million into an entrepreneur, surely you're gonna do some due diligence, put somebody on the board, and have regular meetings. And have collateral on the money. Yeah, that, that as well. But, but surely you're gonna do that. But they didn't, they just trusted him. And they trusted him with hundreds and hundreds of millions. And by the way, I was fooled. I was like, wow, this kid's done it. He's created this business, like everyone's using FTX, he's got Tom Brady selling ads. Fair play to him. I never used the exchange, but honestly, I could have got caught. If they'd have called me up and said, we want to sponsor your podcast, I'd think, yeah, great, I'll take your money. Because they did, I th- they did to a lot, didn't they? A yeah, because yeah. I thought they were legit. Yeah. You know? And then that was a real reminder. Like Bitcoiners say, don't trust verify. Yes. Don't trust I mean, that's a pretty good. Verify. Yeah, or trust but verify, yeah. Whatever, but like yeah. nobody verified. And now it's like, holy shit, this was an abs- This was another Ponzi. Right. But no, he's, I mean, to me, he's got nothing to do with Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, the story has nothing to, if anything, he proves the story of Bitcoin. Because if you left your Bitcoin on FTX, you're an idiot because you can self-custody it. Yeah, I can have it on my phone, I can have it on a multi-wallet. People didn't. You ever heard the term, not your keys, not your Bitcoin? No. Okay, what that means is, do you not have any Bitcoin? Yeah. Okay. So, My wife manages our account. Okay, yeah. so when you have a Bitcoin wallet, account wallet, yeah. it comes with a huge amount of responsibility. Yeah. It's a decentralized system. You hold that Bitcoin, but you are self-sovereign. If you lose your private key, you lose that Bitcoin. Yeah. There is no customer service. You send it to somebody else, and it's the wrong person, you fucked up. Yeah. But do you, you like that about yeah, Bitcoin, by the way? Yeah, I'm self-sovereign. Yeah. Nobody can get to my Just Bitcoin. Just explain self-sovereign. It means I hold my money. So the bank, my pounds are, are stored in, well, yeah. not all of them, but a lot, most of my pounds are stored in the bank. Now, if the bank, if there's a run on the bank and I can't access my money, I can't access my money because they control it. Yeah. I can't keep and it. they've let most of it out anyway. Yeah, and I can't <laughs> keep it as cash under the mattress because that's you know, dangerous and mm. it's risky. But with Bitcoin, I am my own bank. 
I hold my, I, if it's on my phone, I hold that there. Mm. It is a bearer instrument, okay? Bearer asset. If I send it to you, you then hold it. You, because it's controlled by what's known as a private key. That is the key that allows me to send it, okay? And so anyone who held their Bitcoin on FTX and didn't remove it, didn't understand, they didn't follow those it's like giving rules. it to a bank, but it is. one that's it is. about to go bust. So what yeah. he did, he isn't a Bitcoiner, he doesn't understand Bitcoin, he doesn't support Bitcoin, he's a shitcoin salesman, and he's a fraud, and he proved why Bitcoin is the best form of money. How did, in a few words, how did he prove that Bitcoin's the best form of money? Because he ran a Ponzi scheme. Bitcoin, like when people call Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme, it's literally the opposite of a Ponzi scheme because we're self-sovereign, because we hold the asset. Okay, he he was able to operate a Ponzi scheme because he gave, he allowed other people to give him their money and control it for them. He put that money in a black box, the same as Bernie Madoff did, the same as the banks do. Okay. Mm. The only way you can be self-sovereign is cash, gold, Bitcoin. Watches. Watches, things. things? Yes, tradable things that Think, have. Yeah, or tradable things that you take possession of, Yeah. or Bitcoin. Bitcoin mm. is the only digital property which you can hold yourself and no one can touch. Everything else can be taken away. Mm. Did you buy a football club with Bitcoin? Not with Bitcoin, <laughs> but I made it in the Bitcoin club. I love this top, by the yeah, way. Better. I, I um, saw it for about a minute before I saw the Bitcoin B. That, that didn't jump out. So um, you bought a football club. Yeah. This is, I'm, I love Liverpool. This is really interesting. I mean, Alan Sugar, I, I know him relatively well. And he said to me, and famously said, one of the worst things he did was buy a football club. Why did you buy a football club? I like making shit decisions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, I'm from Bedford. Uh, and like you, I support Liverpool, but don't have a Liverpool accent. I get to go see them occasionally, but, and I love them, but it doesn't have that like thing where it's like my town. Mm. Um, and when I was a kid, you'd just pick a big team. I didn't even know Bedford had a team. Um, uh, and the older I got, the more I realized I wish I'd had that thing with my mates. I went to my local team and supported them. I've, you know, my dad used to tell me the stories of when he used to go and watch Accrington, because you know, that's where he's from. And, and yeah, they used to get in the car and go and follow them. And I always thought, I wish I had my own, I wish Bedford had a team. And so I always liked the idea of buying. I always thought, oh, one day I'll be rich as an entrepreneur and, and I'll buy them. And I never really got rich, not rich enough, well, not rich, but certainly not even wealthy enough to buy a football team. And then all that happened is like, the podcast got really successful. I know lots of rich people because they're Bitcoiners and they got an early. And I've got this platform where people listen to the show or follow me on Twitter. And I went, I think I can put the two together. I think if I can buy the football team and I can kind of make them the Bitcoin team and then get all the Bitcoiners behind it, you know, ask a few kind of people who've got successful businesses or a bit of money to get behind and support it and see if I can take this team from the 10th tier into the fourth tier, which is in the football league. That's, that's it. That's what the plan is. So you raised money to buy the club from people in Bitcoin? No, no, no. The, the club doesn't cost anything. Tenth tier of English football. I mean, right. I, I haven't said how much I paid for it, but it was negligible. It's a small mm. amount. It's, it's negligible compared to the cost of actually doing this. Yeah. To do this, it has to become a functional, sustainable business. But we need good players. You know, work done. The There's a lot to do to build a football club, and, and it needs supporters. 
And by making it a Bitcoin team or the team the Bitcoiners follow, that allowed me to essentially raise them up a bit. How? Like give them a kickstart. Well, so firstly, yeah, at this level, most clubs just don't have any fucking money. I went out by making this a brand and the team that I'm behind, I could interest sponsors to put money behind it. And then because I got sponsored to put money behind it, I'm able to go out there and get signed a good manager. And that manager has a budget to get the best players. I would say 70% of promotion is budget. If you, if you haven't got a budget, if you can't compete, it doesn't matter how good your manager is, you, you will not be in contention. Okay? And that's not always the case. You have yeah, because FSG of Liverpool sort of bucked that trend with the Moneyball method, didn't they? <laughs> not sort of. I mean, you I mean, say that. spend anywhere near a lot, as much as the other, a lot of the other clubs. Yeah, and they're behind Until now. Like, I'm saying 70% puts you in contention. Right, yeah. So if you say the top six is contention, 70% of the budget will get you there. Yeah. Okay? It's no coincidence that Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea are kind of up there. I mean, Tottenham bucked that trend. They, you know, they spend money and they're still shit. But, <laughs> but 70% is the money. 30% is... If we want to keep it as simple as possible, 70% money, 30% manager. Right. Or 60% money, 40% manager. Yeah. You have to have a budget, but you have to have a manager who can spend that budget. Allocate capital. Allocate that, well. allocate that capital, get the right players and motivate them. Yeah. Maybe you want to say, actually, it's like it's 10% luck. Yeah. You, know, you could have a great season, you just, a, player, a star player gets injured or whatever. Yeah. But you have to have budget. And now we have budget, so we could sign the, some good players. Now, we don't have the biggest budget. How did you raise hundreds of thousands? I've got this as a question. You raised like hundreds of thousands, I think like nearly a million quid in sponsorship, didn't you? It's a bit less than that, but it, but it was t- a two-year deal and it was more like, I'm going to say, look, I'm, so when I go and get my next round of sponsorship, it won't be that high, but it's like, I need a kickstart to this because there's so much that he's doing. The amount of money we spent on the ground, you know, putting an irrigation system, getting our branding sorted, ordering merch, like we needed that bump. It's, call it like a seed capital. We needed that. And how did you raise it? Well, I just, no, it's once, it's, it was sponsorship, but it acted like seed capital. Yeah, well, but I, you still have to go and get sponsorship. Well, they all sponsor my podcast, so I just phoned them up and said, look, I've got this really stupid idea, right. like the Winklevoss. I've, you know, I, I sat down with, uh, I was in Texas, and I phoned up, or text Cameron, and I said, look, can I meet you? I've got this idea. And then mm. I wanted to, I was like, it's going to sound dumb, but I want, I've got a local shit football team for my shit down. I want to get the football league and I need this money. Mm. Will you get behind it? And they're like, yeah, go on then. Yeah. I think it's just, it's a bit of fun. Mm. I think a lot of people like it, but also it's a way of, it's, it's a Trojan horse for me getting the message out there of, you know, financial responsibility, fuck the government and come and check out Bitcoin. Mm. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's performing multiple roles. I get to live my dream while at the, all, the same time Try and get this message out there. Yeah. And see, we're kind of a rebel club. We have skull and crossbones logo. We, yeah, we play ACDC when the team come out. We've just graffitied our tunnel a bit like St Pauli. Yeah, I'm I'm going to be a gobshite loudmouth. I'm not going <laughs> to, you know. And 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 that's that's have what you we called it, Rayal Bedford. Yeah, yeah. Yes. We were arguing whether it was real Bedford or Real. I figured Real. By Madrid. Yeah, that's what you said, Harry. Why have you called it Real Bedford? I just thought it'd be funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Also, look, there's another Bedford team, Bedford Town. I did try and get them, and they wouldn't sell. There's a lot of confusion between the names. People do not forget Real Bedford. They're yeah. like, is it Real? Is it real? What, like Madrid? It's like <laughs> it's a five-a-side pub team name in yeah. the FA Cup against a big team. Yeah. I just think it'd be fucking funny. Yeah. So, also, Real means royal. Yeah. It's not a distraction from your businesses? How many businesses have you got? 
five-ish. If this opportunity came up tomorrow that was a sixth, would you do it? Absolutely fuck yes. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. I've got another one that's come up, like Emma's... It's an addiction. We were talking about that earlier, It is an addiction. We? I cannot, yeah. I cannot, you cannot change no. this about me. No. You talk to my dad afterwards, he's going to say, people's like this since he was 14. I cannot do anything else. Yeah. I cannot stop. I have to do things. But I think the businesses I have, they, they're all kind of symbiotic. If the football club is successful, well, the day I announced the football club, I had record downloads on the podcast. Yes. People are checking out the football club because of the podcast, and people are checking out the podcast because of the football club. It's right. symbiotic. Um, and so any business I do, you know, when I make films, it's symbiotic to the, they're all symbiotic. They all yeah. have this symbiotic relationship. Yes, it's a distraction, and yes, it's stressful, and yes, we're busy, but it's the best thing in the world. Better than the podcast? For two hours, every Saturday and some Tuesdays, it's the best thing in the world. Because what, what is the most nervous you've ever been watching a football game? Can you think of the most nervous you've ever been? Champions League final, probably. What, the three nil down? Yeah. Well, what point were you nervous? Um, probably before, not at three nil down, I thought we'd lost. Um, so probably before the game. What about three or when Shevchenko should have scored? Yeah. Yeah, what about I mean, those penalties? Is that nerve or is that stress? Yeah. Yeah, the, the penalties, yeah. What about Barcelona when we're 4-0 up? So that's nerves. I had those nerves. I've never been so nervous as when we're like 2-1 up with a minute to go in one of our games, our Bedford game. I've realised something about football that was really interesting during the Euros. You know when England got to the final? I've never had in my lifetime England in a final. I've always been disappointed when we went out. We got to the final, I went to Wembley, and I was okay. It's the most okay I've ever been with England in a tournament losing. And I realise why. It is the journey. Because what happens when you win? If we win it, the players come out and they lift over, we go, hey! then what happens? Go back to normal life. Exactly, you instantly go back to normal life. I bet everyone in Argentina has almost forgotten about it. They're back mm. to you know, high inflation and bullshit, right? But when you go out of the tournament, you're watching other teams play, or when you're still in it, you're in on that journey, mm. right? So for me, football is about, to me, I've learned it's about a journey. It's not about the win, it's about journey. If I can take this team on a journey, all the way, I can't even remember your original question, by the way, but I don't know if I'm answering it, but if I can take my team up into the football league and say 10, 10 years, what a journey. What a journey for me, what a journey for my family, what a journey for Bedford. How exciting would that be for the people of Bedford where we, Maybe we have a playoff final in a few years and it's to get into the National League or we get to the first round of the FA Cup and we draw a Peterborough. We get to a third round. Like, what a journey to go on. And, and what was the original question? I think it stemmed from, did you buy a football club with Bitcoin? <laughs> in about 1985, I asked that. Yeah. <laughs> there was a, I don't know, I just go it on with it. But, but yeah. like, this whole thing is just like a, a really exciting journey. Yeah. Oh, no, why does it like... It Does it affect so your much. other businesses? Yeah, and... no, but it mean, this is why it means so much more. Yeah. You know, I, I last year, had, I was offered tickets to the City-Liverpool FA Cup semi-final, and we were playing away at Letchworth in front of 20 people. And I went to Letchworth because it meant more and I knew I'd enjoy it more. This has meaning. And, and that's something I've, I've learned. This is why I, you know, this, this is why I did it. Yeah. Wow, what a story. <laughs> so on the show, we do quick fire rounds. Okay. Um, different flavour, different energy. Obviously, you can answer them as long as you like, but ideally about 30 seconds. Okay. So would you rather have one million followers 
one million cash or one million Bitcoin and why? What, a million Bitcoins or a million in Bitcoin? A million in Bitcoin, okay. a million in cash or a million engaged followers. Could be on your podcast if you want. Which one of those three would you choose and why? Uh, take the cash. And you're not allowed to put it into Bitcoin? <laughs> well, what have I got to do with it? How long Any, have I... Anything else but put it into Bitcoin. Okay, so if I put it in Bitcoin, am I allowed to sell it into cash? <laughs> uh, I take the cash. Why would you take the cash? Uh, I've got enough money now, and I'm not. I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm not super rich or anything. I've got enough money now; I can allocate that capital. Um, like I, I, I only think you need so much money. You know that thing um, you said thirty second answers. We'll talk about it later. I take the cash. I could just allocate that capital for other things. I'd like to do some investments. Mm. Just a quick question off that though. Do you not think a one million engaged followers on your podcast could generate more than a million pounds cash? Maybe, but like I don't see in quantum like it's a hobby that I make money from, mm. and I think maybe I, it does okay because of that. Yeah. But uh, but I want a million followers who authentically come to me. Mm. You want to give me a million quid cash? Great, but yeah. Okay. Um, have you ever been really broke? I think I know the answer. And give us maybe three lessons in 30 seconds, phoenixing from the ashes. I've never been in a situation where I don't know what I could do. I've never had a desire. I've had things where it's going to get hard, but I've always, if I, I don't think I've ever had a call on it. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I've ever had to go to my dad and say, I am fucked. You I, said 10 years ago. you. Had I to... nearly lost my house, but... Mm-hmm. But, I'll come to that, but yeah. I don't think I've ever been in that scenario where I, I don't know what I can do. Mm. I've always just been okay. And I've always had my family behind me if I need it. I nearly lost my house a couple of years ago. No, 10 years ago, whenever it was. Um, but I still would have been okay. I still could have, friends I was going to live to, I could have rented somewhere. I still would have earned money. I've never been in that situation where I'm like, I don't know how to get any and I cannot buy food. I've never had that. Is that because you're an entrepreneur? Or is that because you've never allowed yourself to get there because you've got some risk I th- aversion? I think it's a combination of, uh, part of it's just luck. Mm. Surrounded by good people. So I've never had this, like there are people who've got no one they can turn to. Yeah. They're desperate. I've never had that. Mm. Yeah, my dad was always, I'm picking him up because he's in the room, but <laughs> he's always been financially you know, responsible. So mm. I knew if I ever needed to, I could you know, go to him and, 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 uh, yeah, say that I need help. I know how to do it, which was why I think I'm his favourite child. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've never been in that position. This is a really shit question. I hate asking it, but that's why I'm asking it because yeah. I love to challenge myself to ask shit questions. Do it. Um, what's your net worth in crypto? Well, so I don't have any crypto. I only have Bitcoin. What's your net worth in Bitcoin? So uh, it would be financially irresponsible for yeah. me to. Bitcoiners do not tell you how much they have. Well, no one should tell you their net worth. I am. Um, but we still, we still answer it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I lost all my Bitcoin in a boating accident anyway. Of course. So I don't have any left. No, no absolutely. Correct answer. <laughs> um, so, final round. And again, about 30 seconds. Okay. Best advice you ever remember receiving? Money will not make you happy, but being broke will make you sad. Worst advice you ever remember receiving? Bitcoin is a scam. <laughs> Cost me a few years, that. Mm. Biggest success you think you've had in your life? Uh, I'm not dead. Took a lot of drugs at one point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just... 
don't like to think about it. Get in the football team, and if we, that, I think it's ahead. I hope it's ahead. I hope it's the football team. Um, I don't know. I don't don't really like. I don't want to. You did it quite well, though. You better <laughs> yeah. well, no, but you're better off asking somebody else. I just. Mm. Okay. What about know. biggest failure then? Oh, that's a good one. I think as a parent, I, sh- I haven't done the best job. Because... What would you advise yourself to do better next time? If there was one, or even... Um, oh, this would, could be a whole podcast in itself. Um, give them more time. Did you say time's a depreciating asset? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so, so I think we tell lies to ourselves or other people. And, and when you see those YouTube videos, it's someone, how I made 10 million in my first year of business, or how I made uh, 500 grand a week on LinkedIn. Like, we're trying to give people all these messages that you need to go and make these big numbers. And it goes back to that point. Money will not make you happy, but being broke will make you sad. Is that being broke and poor is shit, clearly. If you cannot heat your home, that's shit. But once you've made enough to have a house and a car, two holidays, you can do shit, like, a good basic wealth to give you everything else beyond that's lumpy you know so yes you can buy a bigger house yes you can buy a faster car but that doesn't really make you happy you know it might be temporarily but we convince people that but what I think a more important lesson we should be teaching people is control your time like you every day get to do what the fuck you want you get to wake up do what you want you phone me up today I can't be bothered to do it today Pete you could. I would never do that by the but way you could, but, but you yeah, could yeah you know and the fact that I can sit here with you for probably nearly three hours and not have to rush back yeah, you, yeah. You know, having control of your time is the biggest luxury I think in the world I've done the work in a cubicle or shit jobs I handle I used to hammer handles on umbrellas or convince myself I loved advertising and go to London every day when really I was just a bit of a mess you know I've done all that shit have you can I can when I wake up in the morning my daughter's like can you take me to school I'm like yeah and if she's like I've got a hockey match at two o'clock do you want to come it's like yeah having control of your time is the most important thing if you can find doing something you like and get control of your time I think you've won the lottery the gen the actual lottery uh, because how many people waste years or decades of their life going to do a job they think they like or they hate or that makes them unhealthy or fucks with them. So mm. time is a depreciating asset and the less of it you have, the more valuable I think it becomes. And I think we often realise that too late. What's your biggest regret? <sighs> uh, my divorce. Yeah. You've got 28 seconds left to finish that. Um, it was a particularly brutal divorce. My wife had an affair with my best friend. It was happening when we were getting married. Our marriage lasted three months. And not excusing what she did, but I certainly know a lot more about what I did that contributed it to it on the way. And what was that? Uh, selfish, focusing on the wrong things, inconsiderate. Uh, complacency, all those things that you can do in a relationship. Um, I, I regret that a lot. And that's lived with me a lot. And it's very easy because then it's unfair to go, oh, well, that's all that person's fault. And so I've certainly made her think it's her fault over the years, but it, you know, I would have given up everything to have us four together at Christmas times and things like that. 
that's you know that's yeah that's that's my biggest regret mm. what one thing in the world that you think is the most wrong that you'd love to change if you could go click other than bitcoin as the <laughs> yeah, no, reserve um, tottenham fans <laughs> what would you do with them um i would just get rid of the t- no i'm joking uh one thing i could change in the world um i just have to pick something like hunger you just have to say just get rid of hunger because mm. it's I think it's for some people it's the one thing they have to wake up and think about every day can i get enough food to survive and that is a luxury we have right mm. we don't have to think about that but how many people around the world every day have to wake up and go am i going to have enough food to eat today i mean that's shit. Mm. this show is called disruptors last question what does the word disruptive mean to you um uh not being afraid to tell someone to fuck off or to say, fuck it, I'll do what I want. You know, if you start a football team, you don't have to follow everything that everyone else does. Or when you wake up every day, you do whatever job you want, that you can turn around and say that your prime minister is a psychopath and he can go fuck himself. Like, just not giving a shit. But I don't mean being an arsehole. Just not giving a, you know, not being uh, coerced into following the the party line on everything in life that's a really crap answer ah, just let just, the listeners decide just 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 not being afraid to tell someone to fuck off <laughs> this has been so much fun Thank thanks you. for being on the show Peter. thank you i appreciate you having me